So it is longish, but um, there's some parts that I'll try to get through faster. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll feel it out. Brevity is not my strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was an English major in college, and then I was like, "This is I'm not good at this. Creative writing, you're supposed to like, edit. No, I'm not great at no, it. No, that's not the fun part. The fun part is throwing it up onto the page. Yeah, and I'm like, that looks great. I love it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done. Done, too. Proofreading, what's that? Perfect. Um, okay, well, I'll start. Hello, and welcome to Circus Stories. Hi. Circus, his- <laughs> Circus History Podcast. I'm your host, Callie B. And hello, it's me, Mark Renaudin. And we're bringing you another teeth-clenching story from Circus <gasps> History. Teeth-clenching? <laughs> ah. And for those that don't know how the show works, each episode I'm going to or I will share a story or topic from Circus History. And Mark, who admittedly has little knowledge about Circus. I don't know jack about <laughs> squat. And so I'm here to react as you might, the listener. Yeah. Ask questions that I think that maybe you would ask if you were sitting next to Callie. So I'm the vehicle for you. And I'm also a silly boy. So <laughs> all those things are true. That's the formula. That's the alchemy of our wonderful little show. It's true. Mark has no idea what we're going to talk about. So. No idea. I don't know what we're, what our topic is today. Could be good. Could be bad. <laughs> could be both of those things. Actually. Oh, yeah. Could be heartbreaking. Could be heartwarming. Yeah. It could be both of those things also. The, it could be anything. Uh, but first, we'll uh, share our circus word of the day. And Mark, I'll let you guess before I give the actual definition. So yeah, let's see what we think this is. Uh, today's word is kip, K I P, kip, kip. Um, hmm, kip, kip. I almost feel like it's the something you'd say to like. Oh God, how do I express this? It's like it's something to like get somebody going. Come on, they're like, come on, kip, kip. Like <laughs> if <laughs> kip, you gotta kip. speed somebody up, they're kip, kip. like, oh, kip, kip. Let's go. Put some kip on it. I like that. <laughs> kip, um, kip. Yeah, put some kip on it, man. Uh, it's actually uh, not the opposite of that, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the complete other thing. Kip is, um, according to Circus Hall of Fame, Circus Lingo, it's a sleeping place or a bed. A sleeping place. That is pretty much the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is. I was imagining someone like on the back of a horse. They're like, come on, kip, kip. Kip, kip. That's just the. Kip, kip. I mean, that makes sense. That's just like yip, yip from Avatar. That's why. That's where, that's where that <laughs> yip, yip. came from. Oh, Avatar. Um, okay. So lots to chat about. Mm-hmm. You know, we hadn't been able to record because we're both very busy. I had to go to Las Vegas to rescue all of my grandfather's uh, slides and negatives. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, which. What an adventure. Jesus Christ. Did you get them? I did. I. Okay, good. I have so many. It's insane. I had to get a storage space. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have. Okay. So I'm just going to show you really quick. Sure. Can't wait to see them fall out of the closet. This box. Oh, yeah. These are slides in the box. Jeez. Oh, my God. <laughs> Each box of that. Each box like the one you just showed me. I just showed Mark a banker's box. And inside the banker's box, there is one, two, seven small boxes that would hold like a ream of paper. Yeah, it's like a thing of printer paper or something like that. Right. And so in each of those boxes are a ton of slides. I see that one labeled 1993. Carson and Barnes. But they're all, some are not labeled. And some are just whatever. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Some are labeled. Some are not. Uh, but they're like from the 50s to the 90s, like you'll see. Oh, man. Callie, you could make 
such a good coffee table book? Oh, I mean, I have to do so many things. <laughs> so I have nine bankers boxes or no, 10. Or I think I have 11 Jeez. of the slides. Yeah. And then it overflows into like two more like Home Depot tubs also. Oh, gosh. Of slides. Yeah. And then I have a bunch of books. Yeah. And like, I mean, just the photos because my mom and I have a decent amount of his slides. Obviously, we post them often like the images. Yeah. But to separate them like to the ones that were there and like split the collection for us to have a portion of them and then for some other auction house to have a portion of my grandfather's collection of images would be like so sad. <laughs> so I was like, ah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want as many as possible. I mean, Nick was going through them and he's like, he must have just been taking pictures all the time because he's so much shit. And they're all really good, which is wild because uh, they're like, they're all in focus and they're all like lit well and they're all like composed really well. They all look really And you're like, how did you have time to do this many this good? Yeah. it's Like it's, you weren't just shooting from the hip sometimes? Yeah. And-, and they're like cool. You know what I mean? Like they're like artfully done where you're like, oh, the symmetry is cool. And like you have some like design here. You know what I mean? It's like a cool photo, not just like, oh, that looks nice. It's not just like a candid thing here and there. It's like thought out. Yeah, they're really great. Uh, so I was like, wow. Um, but yeah, it was just like so much stuff. And then, I mean, the house is like a circus museum. So so that's what uh, I was really busy doing. And you were going on auditions to possibly go to Slo- Slovenia. Uh, going on auditions. Yeah, didn't get the one that would have taken me to Slovenia. But what a quick turnaround that one was. That was like, did the audition, didn't hear anything. Monday, this past Monday, they were like, hey, can you come back for a callback at 10 in the morning? I was like, I'm already on my way to work. Okay, though, uh, go in. And then that, like, I'm talking to my agent. I'm like, um, I have jury duty this week. Like, I think like I should probably cancel it or maybe I don't have to. Right. Because the only thing it might, uh, you know, get in the way of is the fitting. They're like, it shoots in Slovenia and you would have to Jesus. leave Wednesday if you got it. And I was like, fuck, because it, it said the shoot dates were the weekend. And I was like, OK, well, maybe I don't have to, you know, call out of work or do this or that. And I was like, fuck, and A. So I, I didn't get it. We were like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> which is why we're here recording yeah. now. We would have had to push it even longer. But between that and it's, I've been in car hell for like months and just dealing with various car incidents and rentals and borrowing cars and protect your catalytic converters because (laughs) if we haven't said it enough (laughs) yeah that is what started all of this i'm sure i'm complained about it in the past um still dealing with shit there's no projected date that i'll get another one so i had to buy a new car and then i dinged that car up bad because just sometimes shit like that happens. Because life. Because life. And then insurance is like, we actually don't help you. You just pay us. And I was like, cool, sweet, great. So cool, cool. dealing with this out of pocket, baby. Man. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Life deals you cool stuff when you're in a cool relationship. Yeah. <laughs> if you're like, you're happy, yeah. fuck you. <laughs> Honestly, this year has been so weird. And I feel like everybody I know is getting it from all angles in different ways. Like everyone, my buddy's car got broken into in his actual like gated parking lot recently. Another friend of mine who I work with, he's getting evicted. It's Dude. like everyone in his building is getting evicted. It's just like, 
yeah, it's like ev- like across the board, like everyone I talk to is dealing with some shit right now. Um, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what is in retrograde, but something, some planet is facing the wrong direction <laughs> because everybody is getting something bad right Someone now. Someone needs to turn around and face the correct direction. Yeah. Yeah, we need to get our planets in a better alignment because right now it sucks. Hopefully uh, this episode will be cathartic. I don't know. Probably. Yeah. I don't well, know. Maybe. And, you know, if you guys are dealing with the weird planet alignment right now, hopefully this episode can give you something enjoyable to focus yeah, on for a little while. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So now that we've let you know why we've been so absent. Yeah. <laughs> Now that you've heard our excuses. <laughs> yeah, many, many excuses. We're ready to perform. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about Iron Jaw. <gasps> which we have glazed over because we've discussed. We've heard about it. There was a legend we discussed. Yeah, because we've discussed Miss Lala who performed Iron Jaw. But we are going to discuss the act in length. The act itself. Yeah, it's less frequently known as the dental hang. <laughs> the dental hang sounds like a procedure you don't want. Yeah. So Iron Jaw is an aerial act, a daredevil act, and a strong act all in one, which I think that's why I I, I am mesmerized by Iron Jaw, to be honest. Um, and I think for all of those reasons. Yeah. I remember when we were talking about Miss Lala and it was like, she was holding like a cannon. And I think they fired it, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. They totally did. Which is just fucking how? Yeah. How don't you lose a tooth during that? Like that's I know. It's wild. It's insane. I, I, I yeah, I'm excited for this because that was one of the ones like there's so many acts we go over that are impressive, but there are some that you're like this isn't just impressive. This is straight up like my brain can't comprehend how a person can do this and not like get seriously injured. Yeah, this is like real deal. What the fuck? Yeah, like literally how? I mean, the amount of times that you guys have seen on YouTube someone firing a gun wrong and it back kicks them in the face. <laughs> and they lose it too. <laughs> I'm sure we've all, yeah, I'm sure we've all seen that once. This woman was holding a cannon with her mouth and fired it. A cannon is bigger than a gun. It's the biggest gun maybe ever. It's the biggest gun usually. <laughs> yeah, it's a, on average, a cannon is the biggest gun. And an old one has even more kickback because technology is not as good. So how did she not lose all her teeth during this? I, I can't wait to learn about this. This, is, this. this feat is wild. It is wild. So... The act has many variations on how it can be presented, which we will touch on. But in short, it's performed by literally being suspended in the air from like a decent height. And you are hanging by your teeth, essentially. Like you have a mouthpiece in and that's hooked to your rigging, however. And you are performing some, you know, aerial flow or some movement or, or something else, which, you know, some other iteration, uh, which we'll discuss, like holding a cannon or something like that. Well, and this is one of those things where like, you know, when there's certain foods and you're like, who was the first person to eat this, to find out this was edible? It was like, we always think about that with milk, right? It's like, who tried cow milk? Who did that? Yeah. Who was like, 
I'm going to see what's in there. This is one of those <laughs> things where I'm like, what psycho was the first one to do this? And I would love to know the how many teeth were lost in the pursuit of this <sighs> like statistic. I don't know. There's probably no way to know that. But like, I wish I did know that. I'm sure a bunch. I mean, a bunch. Well, like you to do it right. I'm sure they did it wrong so many times first. I mean, I think the trial and error and we'll discuss like the mouthpiece evolution. Yeah, because that's probably crucial. Yeah, crucial. So the variations like sometimes performers will like bear the weight of objects they'll hang like a large apparatus at the other side of their dental bit and then sometimes they'll hang like a trapeze and like someone will be hanging on that trapeze sometimes people will hang like dumbbells from the other end of their dental bit in a common presentation which was later introduced the performers will be wearing like flowing garb to present more of like an airless ethereal butterfly kind of thing there's a lot of like different versions that uh, we'll discuss. I have a friend, Nikki, who performs it now, and I interviewed her. We'll we'll discuss that interview towards the end of the episode. Ooh, literally from the Iron Jaw's mouth. Exactly. Yeah. She performs the act by swinging chairs from the end of like a chain. <laughs> so she'll hook, she'll have the dental, like the mouthpiece in her mouth. Yeah. And then these chairs are at the end of these chains and then she'll swing them around and they'll get catch flight. And she usually will perform in like a smaller, you know, venue show. So it's like, they're very close to the audience, these chairs. Yeah. Well, anytime there's motion involved, I feel like it's so much scarier. Yeah. Like that's pulling that's like that's force. You're making it more. It's it's like more. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Maybe if you, once it gets going fast enough, it actually lightens the load. But I don't know. It like. Yeah, that's, it might. It just seems it crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, you'll, I don't know about enough about physics or gravity, but I'm we who knows? Maybe we'll find out. Yeah. I'll give you some quotes from her while she discusses how it feels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is the sensation? Not good. <laughs> Not great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's like the hair hang, right? Like when we talked about that in the past is one of those things where they're like, no, no, it does hurt constantly. Constantly. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just it is pain. Yeah. But if you do it right, it's manageable pain instead of ripping your scalp off or maybe your teeth out. Yeah. And I have a friend, Chris, who does perform hair hang. Yeah. And he is a generational circus performer. And I feel like, you know, there's oftentimes like you will learn trapeze at, at like some sort of level. If you are a generational circus performer, you'll learn maybe you'll learn hair hang if that's like, you know, something that's learned. If that's your family's thing. Exactly. Um, but he was like, oh, I, I know Iron Jaw. And he's like, I would much prefer to do hair hang over that. Like he, Oh, like the pain is less. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yikes. I mean, yeah, because I mean, it, just if you just told me which one would you rather do, I can't really imagine which one would hurt more. I mean, I guess I would maybe the hair is. Better because you can, it's easier to regrow hair than teeth. Um, but like from <laughs> a pain perspective, I don't know. Like, I guess, I mean, I feel like your hair would be more, it would be easier to hurt your hair because they're not in as strong as your teeth. But at the yeah. same time, losing teeth is like a bigger, it sucks more. I don't know. Oh, I don't God. know. I had a lot of bad dental shit as a kid. And so I think that one would scare me more. Nikki kind of goes into and some other interviews for from previous performers will discuss how it feels and it's not good. <laughs> also, just this is one of those things. And I'm sure you hear this with athletes and stuff, too, like when they break a like a, a, a bone and they still want to finish the game. It's like there is a certain class of person like who like a certain type of athlete and competitor who they're just kind of like, 
I'll take it every day. Like I'll take that pain so I can do the thing well. And it is both commendable and like a little bit deranged. Masochistic. Yeah. (laughs) But like, I I remember I was working with this guy who he had played football since the like fourth grade. um, And he only stopped after college just from enough injuries, just that it was like, I have to switch careers and stuff like that. Um, But he was just saying that like every single person on his team, there were certain things where like, you'd get an injury that if you just stopped in the middle of the game and treated it, it would be a long process, but you'd be fine. You could use everything. Nothing is like permanent. And there are things where if you finish the game, you will get permanent damage, but it is like, you know, we'll fix it, but it will be permanently damaged. And he's like, every single person I played with would be like, let me finish the game. Right. Yeah. You have to like, cause if you like are starting to tear something or like, it'll just keep tearing if you don't address it immediately. Yeah, it'll make it worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he was just saying like, everyone has that mindset. Like when you're playing with those people for that long, I mean, this was, he was saying at like college level at this point, but it's just like everyone who's in it at this point, they're going to want to finish the game. And I was just like, Jesus, like forever. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It is like a mindset. It's like a, I have to do this, a drive, a crazy drive. Yeah. I mean, it's admirable, but also like, I'm like, not me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what that's like also. Um, Well, for this episode, I wanted to delve into the act itself, the evolution through the years. And in tandem with the act's evolution, I wanted to discuss some impactful iron jaw performers and then chat about the variations through time that we see. Um, and then I'll, we'll revisit some close calls and accidents because, Ooh. you know. I mean, we gotta sprinkle in the drama. It appears to be, at least to me, one of the most dangerous circus acts. I mean, there's there's other ones that are very dangerous, but it seems pretty- There's a lot. I feel like the big cat stuff is probably up there too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shooting out of a cannon, being in the globe of death, those ones are pretty bad. Oh, globe of death was, if you haven't listened to the globe of death one, guys, go find that one. That's one of my favorites. It is accurately named. Yeah, and the wheel of death, which we'll do, looks pretty hard, scary too. Uh, oh, all of the daredevil stuff. There's so many dangerous things like this. Yeah. And one of the coolest things about the circus is like, there's a whimsy to all these really dangerous things yeah. that's just like so silly and odd and cool. And it's just like to be like, I'm going to do this really dangerous, but also silly thing. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like That's one of the things that's so kind of like, like, like <laughs> fucking go off, man. Do your thing. But like, hey, I'll, I'm just here to watch. But it's just like <laughs> I made it up. And you're like, OK. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, all right, sure. Yeah, I want to see you lift a cannon with your mouth. Sure. Right. Up top, I'm going to say I have various sources, but the main source from this episode is an article from volume 65, number three from Bandwagon Magazine, which I subscribe to. And the article is titled The Tenacious Women of the Iron Jaw. And it's written by Anne, Anne or Ain. I think it's Anne. It's spelled A I. N-E. Oh, okay. I was like, I'm. it's usually Anne. I know. I'm like, Anne? <laughs> Anne? It's Anne, actually. Uh, Anne Norris? I'm like, is it Anne or Anne? I'm not sure. Um, so, like <laughs> I said, um, with Iron Jaw, you are suspended and you perform aerial acts. With your mouth. You're only being held by your teeth, basically. Like, you are holding on by your teeth and that's all. Early beginnings and origins of this. There isn't like a specific origin that I could pinpoint. Um, obviously like, so according to bandwagon, iron jaw performers have been performing this and wowing audiences 
within the entertainment world for nearly two centuries, but it doesn't seem like there's a distinct like it's sourced from this country. Like this was the first one, right? Um, that yeah, I can, or like who was the person who invented right, it? Right, there doesn't seem to be that, which is interesting. I bet if I really, if I like went to like a circus historian further, you might be able to find. I have a lot of circus books though, and I really, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'd have to look further, but I don't think that there's like one person. Maybe it's a heavily guarded secret. It could be. It could be. Um, but it definitely is clear, and, and according to Bandwagon, they agree that it's an act that requires strength, balance, resilience from the performer, who, again, only uses their teeth to stay in the air. Iron Jaw is a traditional circus act dating back at a minimum to the 19th century, according to Bandwagon. Uh, Bandwagon states, a performer is raised on a rope or a cable or a trapeze via an apparatus in their mouth. Once raised, the performer swings, spins, descends, or performs their other feats. In the mid-19th century, the iron jaw apparatus was most often a leather strap attached to a hook or pull to then hook to whatever. Um, At that time, the strap typically had a smaller square or arch of leather sewn on the top and bottom and onto which the performer placed their teeth, biting down on the leather, primarily using force from the upper and lower central incisors, front teeth on top and bottom, lateral incisors and canines, teeth on either side of front teeth on top and bottom. So that's where you're biting down and that's where you're putting the pressure. So like your incisors and your front teeth, I guess the central incisors and then your lateral incisors and canines. So I guess it's just like the middle is like where you're really going to press down. I guess like a, the like your front two teeth. Yeah. So it says upper and lower central. Only teeth I know are canines, molars and the buck teeth. Front teeth on top and bottom. Yeah. So, so your front front teeth and bottom teeth and then your incisors looks like lateral incisors and canines. So that seems to be like just the front row maybe of teeth. Right. Like so. I mean, because I was always picturing like. You know, a like a jaw mouth guard, like you know they use in football or hockey or or any kind of collision sport. Yeah, and I was just picturing like a whole like like a ring on the front of it, like it comes out a little bit and there's a ring, and then you're attaching that to a hook or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I'll send you. I'm gonna show you some pictures right now. Because even still, like I mean, just think about like holding yourself up with one arm. You know what I mean? Like like say there's a pull up bar or something, and you hold on with one arm. A lot of people can hold on for a short amount of time, just whether you are in good shape or not, or you practice this kind of thing or not. But it's still hard to do, to just hang there. Now this is all on your goddamn mouth. Like, like, right? like, what's the hardest you ever bit into something? Like, do that for a half an hour while you do your act or whatever. Like, it's it's crazy to have the whole force of your body be pulling on your teeth. Okay, so here is the early one that is the strap with a smaller square arch of leather sewn at the top and bottom. Oh my god! So there's, it's like basically a piece of leather. It's sewn around what would be considered now like a carabiner almost. So it's like a, a metal loop, and then connected to it is like a vintage version of a carabiner. So that leather is looped around that and then towards the back of it towards the end of it is the double pad of the leather so that that's where you would bite down this is so this looks so unsafe (laughs) (laughs) 
So, so I see what you're saying now. Um, when when you say that, like your front teeth are doing most of the work. So, for for those at home, if you're not able to look at the Instagram to see this image, picture just like a leather, a piece of leather, just like a strip of leather about the width of your mouth, just mm-hmm. flat. Okay, and it's about what do you say? Like how long would you say that's like? Three, four inches, maybe max. Yeah, it looks about the length of like the palm of your yeah, hand. That's right. Um, and then at the bottom of it, so the part that's closest to you, there's a little bit like there's an extra layer right. of it, like essentially a square sewn onto it. And that little ridge it creates, that's what you're biting down and around. And it is sewn on. This is string <laughs> that is sewn onto this. So the only thing, so like you could be, you could have the strongest mouth in the goddamn world and you're biting onto this with all your might. What's keeping you up in the air is like, it's, it's just, it's, it's sewn string. Because that is the only thing attaching this secondary, like, extra square. And the square, like, kind of like the ridge of the square is what you have to grab onto. Like, that is what it, and so, again, so much of the pressure of this is not on your whole mouth. Because if you are imagining, like I was, a modern mouth guard, it is got the shape of your teeth in it. And every single tooth is doing work. So it would spread the weight of your body around your entire mouth. This one is primarily focused, as Callie said, on your front teeth. And when you guys get a chance, definitely look at this just to fully appreciate it. Because I couldn't really picture it until I saw it. And when I do, it makes this whole thing even more alarming. <laughs> like, it's so crazy because it's it not only is all the weight basically on your front teeth like it doesn't it's not able to distribute it nearly as well as like a modern mouth guard but it's also completely on the stitching yeah yeah like because if the stitching rips and this square falls out it doesn't matter how hard like you're gonna fall yeah like and also this is interesting so the double the double leather is so that your teeth don't touch because that's you don't want that. Like Nikki will say this later in her interview, but like if your teeth are touching, not good. So that's where the extra leather is for so that yeah. you have something to really bite down on. So this particular mouthpiece was used by performer Frida Richard of the Richard sisters. And it was used in 1910 and 1911. Also in 1912, and she performed with Adam Forpa and Sells Brothers. And she also performed in Ringling, Ringling Brothers. And so this, this actual pieces on display at the Circus World Museum in Wisconsin. That's crazy. It just looks like the end of a belt. It does. Like it literally just looks like the end of a belt. So in the late 19th century, the apparatus was modified to contain a mold of the performer's teeth or palate. So you'll see in this other photo that I've sent you, it's like a, it's evolved, Yeah. right? The piece is longer, like the leather piece is lengthened. There's still like a loop at the end of the piece opposite of where your mouth bites. There's a loop, you know, a loop piece where your rigging hook would go to where the carabiner or metal hook would go that would connect to whatever you're hanging or hanging from or if there's a trapeze from it or if there's a cable, whatever. That's the opposite of where your mouth is. And then the mouth part is like... um, God, it looks like it looks far more dental. It looks like the base of a retainer. Um, yeah. And honestly, this one um, both looks more safe and more gross. Um, 
It, it, it the, looks, the part that you're yeah. biting onto really does look like the middle part of a retainer. You know, the part that's kind of supposed to mimic the top of your mouth. Yeah. And you can see there's grooves for all of your teeth in the front and the side. So, like, it totally makes sense that now with this version, the weight is being spread out, which makes a lot of sense because the more you spread any kind of pressure out, the more resilience you have against it. Like pinpoint pressure is way more devastating than spread out. It's the reason that like, um, I think it's probably the reason that like a bullet is like being small is more effective. Like if it was larger, I mean, you'd obliterate something still if it was going fast enough, but like any kind of like just, you know what? Here's a better example. The reason they tell you to kind of like duck and roll if you have a high fall is because it spreads the impact, like the force out among the roll instead of doing it condensed into just the ground. So you're less likely to break something. And the the, the I'm guessing this is like using kind of the same thought process here. But so this looks way better. It's still at the end of the day coming down to you know, sewn pieces of leather. So it's two pieces of leather that are sewn together, which does make me a little nervous for them. But clearly it, it worked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, uh, some performers still use leather. Yeah. Like today. Yeah. I mean, leather is strong as hell, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they, they have to replace them every once in a while. But I would imagine. I would hope. <laughs> yeah. The teeth mold part in this particular one is acrylic, oh. it says. Um, so this mouthpiece was performer Mary Jane Miller's mouthpiece and she performed with Ringling Brothers for 14 years during the 40s and the 50s. Do you know when this mouthpiece like year-wise came about like when the technology shifted to be able to do this? So by the early to mid 20th century the apparatus the mouthpiece became more secure and utilized a full mold which we'll see you see in that image a full mold of the performer's palate of their upper and lower teeth. So similar to modern orthodontic processes to create retainers, like you said, an impression was made using a compound of wax and talc filler, offering a soft material to make the best mold for for the time, at least, according to Van Wagen. So they've evolved. A quote from the article, this material was later replaced mid-century with alginate made from brown algae. By the late 20th century, the apparatus evolved once more, becoming a more secure mold of the performer's palate and teeth created using polyvinyl siloxane. Through time, the mouthpiece became safer and more custom to each performer. The mouthpiece was then attached to leather in various types and styles of hooks, clips, and swivels. Historian Petitate notes the iron jaw apparatus attached to a wire allowed individual female performers to be suspended midair on equipment that was not easily discernible at, at a distance. So they could appear to be balancing or floating. So that was the idea, right? So from a distance, because it was so close to their mouth and then the hook was so close to their mouth and then there was a wire, it seemed like they were just floating or flying. That's pretty sweet, actually. Yeah. Um, so that's the mouthpieces. And We'll touch on it when I go over Nikki's interview, but she uses like a, a leather mouthpiece. Now, I'm sure it has some sort of indentation because she she did get, I think it's more like the one that we're seeing this more current one. Mouth guard kind of right, look, yeah. That has impressions, but it's leather. So hey, well, if, it, if it works. Yeah. Um, also noted in this article is the immense toll on the body. 
So here's yeah, a couple, I believe it. a couple gnarly accidents um, that we will go over. Because um, like, it's probably so rough on your neck and shit too. You know what I mean? Like it's so much pressure. It's basically just like gnarly on your whole body apparently well because like there's just you know your body is built a certain way through evolution right it's built that's why your legs are just inherently stronger than your arms because they're carrying you all day but your neck is never meant to be the full support of your body like they yeah. do neck workouts and stuff they like that. do have to do neck work. that's so funny you say that yes they actually they totally have to do neck workouts. That makes sense. That's so funny. Because, like, you say yeah, that. what your 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 body's just not inherently meant to do anything like mm-hmm. this. They have to warm up their neck before. They have to strengthen their neck before. Yeah, they have to do their neck and their shoulders because it it, it bears a lot of the stress and the weight and all of that. Yeah. Well, and it's everything with your neck and spine and head are so sensitive. Knowing what you're doing, it changes. It's huge. Everything. Yeah, and. Please don't try this at home. <laughs> yeah, please don't. Do not. Do not. Do not, um, do not. Like this is one of those things where with the right training and know-how, you can make a career out of this. And if you just tried it not knowing what you're doing, you could probably just kill yourself. Yeah. Um, throughout this episode, um, I just wanted to note like Iron Jaw has been and is still performed by both men and women. However, I'm going to touch mainly on women <laughs> in this episode. In a quote from Bandwagon and noted scholar Petitate, who is a circus historian, I think a professor in the UK, she says, aerial acts of strength, daring, and speed by females were outperforming male acts by the 1880s. And Iron Jaw questioned social beliefs and the natural fragility and inferiority of female physicality. So I think focusing on the female feats and strength, I think, are interesting. Well, it's cool also just to see uh, uh, like an act that is that seems to be done better by women. Yeah, like, I mean, especially in that time when the general consensus was athleticism was like a male dominated thing to see this one be like, no, it depends on what you're doing. Yeah, I think that was more of the impressive. And also they got women got more press because of what you're exactly saying is that like they're like, whoa, a lady. What the fuck? Yeah, it's like they can do things that are impressive. And it's like, yeah, dick. Yeah. And I think that um, I'm not sure the frequency of men performing these or the press coverage of men as far as 1800s and 1900s, because it probably wasn't as interesting. Hard to, hard to say if it was like just women getting more press or if it was actually like a female right. dominant. But men do perform it still now. I mean, and I've, I see men performing it often. I feel like body type probably plays a lot into this as like, if you're like a shorter person, it might be easier because it's kind of like the thing with like climbing, like mountain climbing and stuff. Smaller people are usually have a bit of an advantage because they don't they're not holding as much weight like you're just yeah. like it, there's less weight being put on individual parts of your body. So I wonder if maybe that has a bit to do with it. This could, too. It could. So um, I'm just going to revisit or not revisit, but visit some of the uh, injuries that some have occurred <laughs> or accidents from the past. Unfortunate. Yeah, let's hear them. Let's get gnarly. And some of these are suffered by performers that maybe have gotten less publicity, but they may have been like career enders perhaps also. Man, I was just thinking like, yeah, you get teeth insurance if you do this. I know, right? Like, geez. Um, so in 1885, the New York Times reported Lottie Watson, quote, the woman with the iron jaw with Van Amberg Circus was met with an accident that will cause her retirement. Remember, this is 1885. 
um, that will cause her retirement from the ring. The article explained that Watson's Iron Jaw Act holding a cannon suspended from her mouth to discharge midair. So someone else holding a cannon. Um, but this is after Miss Lala had done it. So. Of course. Right. Um, so she's holding this uh, cannon suspended from her mouth um, to discharge midair, which led to the accident when a rope broke and Watson fell approximately six feet to the ground, her head striking the cannon after she fell. Oh. So Watson, unconscious, suffered injuries of a crushed forehead, mouth and teeth trauma, bruises and internal bleeding. Yikes. Oh, yeah, I bet she did. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I mean, falling six feet onto your head could just kill you if your neck lands But then off. she smacks it on the cannon. Yeah, she smashes it on like a cast iron gun. Dude. Like, Jesus Christ. How is she not dead? I know. Well, she's not great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We don't hear more about her. No. Uh, uh, oh, oh, Jesus Christ. That's crazy. In 1928, the Bristol Herald Courier reported that Bobby Gaffich suffered severe injuries and a nervous reaction when she fell from midair after an iron jaw apparatus slipped from her mouth. Uh, in 1933, the Pittsburgh Sun Telegraph reported that Lillian Burslem, during her iron jaw act, lost her grip on the rope and dropped 30 feet, resulting in a broken leg. In 1938, the Pittsburgh Press discussed the fall of Ginger Vess, an iron jaw artist who lost her grip sliding down a 300-foot rope attached to an 80-foot tower. Whoa. That's so many more feet. She fell into the arms of an audience member suffering lacerations. But still, that's so far. I mean, she just fell into the audience, it sounds like. That's so far, yeah. Well, here, quick question. So in these instances, they're holding the cannon essentially with their mouth. Well, it's, that was just that one woman was holding a cannon. But well, these- well, for any of these people, because I know that the, the, the base act, it is you have mouth guard. The mouth guard is attached to a rope that's attached to, you know, the apparatus above the you. The rigging up top. Yeah. When you're holding the cannon or other implement, like your friend was holding the chairs, where is the rope suspending them? So for, like for Miss Lala, she would hang from a trapeze by her knees. Gotcha. Okay, so that's the other point. And then she'd be upside down, and then the iron jaw would be in her mouth, and then the cannon would be hanging. Okay. A further level of being impressive, because now not only are you holding your whole body up with your legs, you're holding your whole body plus 80 pounds of cannon, and then there you have two points where you can mess up. Legs can slip, mouth can slip. Yeah, oftentimes if they were hanging upside down, they're usually slung over their legs or slung over like a trapeze or something like that. The the feats these people take on for our amusement, I mean, the, like it's it is impressive, admirable and kind of just kooky. It is kooky. So you'll notice all of these uh, accidents. It may or may not be a coincidence that they're happening with this earlier mouthpiece. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, we were just talking about how it looks like. It's just a very little like it's a, a basically a leather square. It is. is 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 that you're putting your life in the hands of this leather square that is sewn on. It's wild. And if you're using that every day, it's like that's just going to wear. Fast. Well, yeah, and it's literally it's string. Yeah, it's string keeping that square on the bigger piece of leather. Like that's what's holding your whole body up like stitching. It's it's insane. Yeah. So I did mention that, you know, the act is was and is 
still performed by both men and women, but, um, you know, we're going to focus on the female performers. By the 20th century, many iron jaw performers chose to perform as human butterflies, which presented as a more feminine and weightless presentation of the act, according to bandwagon. So in the 19th century, women are performing the iron jaw and seemingly challenging gender norms, similar to like Zazzle and other women strong acts of the day, but perhaps to keep in popular flow of social wants or whatever of women fitting into a so- like a feminine box. Yeah, like a dainty kind of a deal. There's like a visible transition and involvement of those performing Iron Jaw to steer away from the strength and the lifting thing. And to lean into like the floating and the feminine butterfly presentation. Or to the current culture. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Ethereal, effeminate, like kind of right. flowing, like right. beauty. Yeah. Um, and so as I go through these performers, you'll, you'll see that like evolution a little bit. That's not to say that all women stopped being billed as Iron Jaw as a strength act, but you'll see that shift. And it's noted within this bandwagon article that there's like a notable shift. I am going to focus on the variations and the acts evolution through this uh, handful of impactful women throughout the years. And arguably, these women are paving the way for future performers after them. So I feel like each woman that I touch on, they do something or they innovate something that kind of affects or what I want to say, like influences the the next performer to follow. Send the ground rules. Yeah. Um, Quote from Bandwagon, women who perform the Iron Jaw in the past match fortitude with grace and innovation, end quote. And there are truly countless female performers that can be named. Like, I, this isn't all of them, but um, I mean, this would be like... This started what, in 1885, I think, something around there? Yeah, or even or, or earlier even. Like, we're going to go to 18, I don't know, 1850s. That's probably. a lot of years of humans. It's a lot of generations. Yeah. I mean, the, according to this article it's it started in the at least 19th century so 1800s right so and likely before that we just don't know yeah they're Um, just not as good records right so it seems to begin as far as like the presentation of the act as like a daredevil more of like a strong act it's like a performance of like look at this feat of strength and then it will evolve into other things but i'll start with performer Oh, let me actually, before I start with Leah and Adair, I'm going to show you a couple photos just so you can see, you know, visually what we're talking about um, and have a, an idea of like, I know you know what it looks like, but just like a better and idea. I'm a visual learner, so yeah. I love to see. Yeah, man. I feel like the, the photos help so much sometimes because mm-hmm. I think that until you see certain things, you just can't think about them correctly. Right. So this is... uh. This is the performer that we will be talking about in a moment. It seems like almost all of these performers start learning trapeze. And then I I think that's helpful for their act simply because they have to sometimes hang from a trapeze to perform this act. Here's an example that I've sent you of one performer, a male who's hanging from a trapeze that looks like. Jeez, yeah. And then he has is holding another person from his iron jaw bit. Yeah, they're both holding each other essentially by the right. mouth. It doesn't. It's, it's even hard to tell what he's holding onto above him. Like his legs are in the position, but you can't mm-hmm. see anything. Also, they both look very strong. <laughs> right. This is a more modern like image of the act, but you can see it's really beautiful. It's a great shot with the lighting in the background and everything. Like, yeah, it's it's very cool. 
This is an interesting one. Again, a man hanging from a trapeze. And a lot of these performers had to like create this apparatus that other people could hang from. Um, so they'd have to create kind of like a trapeze apparatus that could hang from their iron, iron jaw. Yeah. You know, mouthpiece. He, he's essentially being the rope that mm-hmm. uh, so another trapeze artist is performing on. Right. So he's his knees are hooked over a trapeze and then he has the mouthpiece in his mouth and then looped onto the other end. The fix onto the other end is like it looks like a heart shape. And then the from the heart shaped rigging, there's like two ropes hanging and then a trapeze. Yeah. It's and an then someone's performing heart that's connected to his mouthpiece. And then the top parts of that kind of like where the heart rounds. That's the bottom of this. That's where the rest of the trapeze is hooked on. Right. I'm sure a triangle would work, too. But this is cuter. sure. Totally, Honestly, when you look cute. at pictures yeah, like exactly this, right. it's just like it really makes me appreciate like the potential athleticism in the human body. The the things that these people are doing, like we talked about, like all, all of this episode so far, like an immense toll is being put on their bodies. And right. all these people, you could tell just by the poses they're in, they're all in great shape. And you oh, have yeah. to be. It's kind of like this is a very interesting look at a pinnacle of human athleticism. You can appreciate that in a lot of sports. I mean, with with enough padding on, you can't always see their physique. But in these, they're wearing like leotards. So you pretty much see all of the muscle on these people. And, yeah. and it's just like, it's just very impressive. Yeah. This and woman's hanging from her tootsies. It's crazy. I know. So there's another man that's, uh, his knees are hooked over a trapeze. And then from his mouthpiece his dental mouthpiece he has like a, a, a ring a ring yes and it's not like a hula hoop size ring it's probably like a third size of a hula hoop and then there's a performer that has her feet like hooked on the bottom and she's up well and down. this is like the the pressure on her is going to be on the tops of her feet so right. she's upside down and just like that has to hurt so much because there's bone there. Like mm-hmm. it's just pushing it straight onto bone. Yeah. And it's her whole weight right. on this, the bone of her foot. And right. it's also like your foot can't really hook there. Like right. it's not at her ankle. This is on the top flat of her foot. All he has to do is like sway the wrong direction and she could slip. I mean, you got to imagine the sweat is building up when you're working oh, this hard. Yeah. Like sure. this is crazy. So, well, what, what, one, two, three, four of these images are men that I sent you that are holding the performer beneath them from their mouthpiece. So the performers that I'm going to discuss right now are all females, which I think is interesting and impressive, you know, because of the strength factor. I mean, I, I don't want to compare men and women, but, you know, it's cool. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, and it's it, like, you know, like we were talking about before, like all of these things take intense as- athleticism and yeah. it, like, I think we're getting closer and closer to understanding that like it's not so much a flat gender thing. It's it, it like it boils more down to individual. Like right. you'll find a, a woman who is just is more capable of being more physically powerful than a certain right. man. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get general, we can get general, but I don't think there's there's much point in doing that. Right. right. Um, but it's like, especially for the time, it was just like there was no common knowledge. It was just like women flatly were considered less powerful. Correct. Wasn't yeah. like maybe on average, but there's plenty of expe- like exceptions. And yeah. so for this to happen, then it was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> the, the impressive and the, and the spectacle of it was much more at the time. And 
the press coverage maybe was more so because that they were female. Even right now, I'm like, how does anyone do this? Right. Like, it's impressive to me that any human can perform this. And then back then, when it was generally thought of that, like, you know, women are dainty and light and it's not mm-hmm. about muscle with them. And so like you very clearly need muscle for this. Like they, really? like we just talked about if you don't work your neck out and stuff, you can't do this. Right. And so for some for for women at the time to do this, I, I yeah, it makes total sense that everyone was like, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that they were, but it makes a lot of sense. They were like, right. what? How? It is Excuse unfortunate, me? but of the time, it makes sense, unfortunately. So the first performer of note that I wanted to discuss is Leona Dare. She was born Susan Adeline Stewart in 1855. According to Bandwagon, she remains one of the most highly publicized aerialists of all time. And we'll do a whole episode on her. But in short, she was a standout former known for her iron jaw. The newspapers were compelled by her act, her beauty, and her backstory. A 1912 article titled Leona Dare still searches for her mother. So she was on a constant quest for searching for her mom, which was like always like mentioned in a lot of these articles. Basically, Dare never saw her mother again after the Civil War. She, they just were separated. I didn't really delve into it, obviously, because we're just brushing through people here. But like, but um, most articles mentioned she was just like constantly searching for her mom. That was like this thing that was like plagued her. Sure. I can only imagine just being like, I just don't know where she is. After the Civil War, Dare and her two brothers were sent to New Orleans, and it was there that she learned trapeze, as like most of these performers seem to learn early. Soon started to perform as Leona, Queen of the Antilles, a moniker that was said to reflect her dark hair and dark eyes. Some articles mention that she's of you know, Spanish descent. That's mainly what she's referred to as Spanish descent, but they gave her this whole, like, she's this dark tall mysterious yeah yeah. exactly that was like their marketing tool for her so they're like she's different in a fun way yeah look she's exotic so early mentions of her apologies i don't know the geography i'm so sorry that's (laughs) not what we're specialists yeah apologies um early mentions of her in 1871 in the brooklyn daily eagle paper state miss leona dare was to perform thrilling trapeze act at the Hooli Opera House. So she is not yet performing Iron Jaw, but it discusses her first brush with death. Oh, so, a mere brush, you say. Right. So this article says this beautiful young lady lost her balance while at the height of 32 feet from the floor and was soon revolving in the air in danger of instant death. A young man jumped from his seat and caught her in his arms and saved her life. Perfect strangers to each other until that moment culminated in the marriage between the two parties. What what a meeting. What a meet cute, right? Oh, I just fell from 36 feet and he caught me saving my life. Pretty good meet. <laughs> Pretty good meet. So she allegedly impulsively marries this man like. I mean, oh, that's a great bonding moment. Yeah. <laughs> she marries this stranger like a week later or something like very soon after this fall. And this news spreads nationwide. It's a great story. And this propels her into that much more stardom because they're like, oh, wow, he's caught her and like, ooh, beautiful. What a romantic story, right? Like, like that's one of those things too. Like you saved my life and you're hot. Let's just, why not? Yeah, why not? You're hot? Why not? The stranger's name was Thomas Smith Hall. It was later uncovered that 
Thomas Hall and Leona Dare actually already knew each other <laughs> prior to her fall. Makes and more sense. He actually was her teacher and had married her uh, earlier in the year in 1879 uh, in New Orleans. Uh, so this happened in New York. So he had been her trapeze teacher in New Orleans. Okay. So they were already a thing. Yeah. This, so this was pl- planned. <laughs> oh, the yeah. fall too? Possibly. Like this suggests that this near accident was probably a publicity Even stunt. if it's staged, like that's a dangerous thing to stage. <laughs> right? You literally are putting your life in his hands. Like yeah. that is, and in like, you know, we're talking about some feats that are like, oh, six feet, oh, a hundred feet, oh, 300 feet. Like 36 feet is very high up. I have been, I like, yeah, in upstate New York, been like cliff jumping mm-hmm. from like around 40 feet. It is really high up. Yeah. It might not sound it compared to some other things. It is really high. You're dead if you make a mistake at that height. So it could be that she accidentally fell. And he caught her because he's her husband and he wants to catch her. And then they're like, oh, shit, we should spin this so you don't look bad. <laughs> look, yeah, why not? You, If you're going to have a near-death experience, use it to your advantage. I yeah. <laughs> if she planned to fall in his arms, wow. If she accidentally fall, fell in his arms. Still wow. Wow. Yeah, like he's the one for you. <laughs> yeah, for real. Not for only real. did he save your life, but like you, you do want someone who can react well under pressure. 100%. Which he clearly demonstrated he can't. Yeah. So by 1872, Leona's billed as the aerial queen. Now, this is when she introduces a really interesting spin on Iron Jaw. So in 1872, also, she's first associated with ballooning, an act that would soon be her signature. So an article from the Buffalo Commercial, which is a paper. (laughs) It's a newspaper. It states that J.W. Warner, a prominent businessman, convinced, quote, a young and beautiful Spanish girl named Leona Dare, who does marvelous feats upon the trapeze in the circus to make a balloon ascension, end quote. Here's an early, very early report of Dare performing Iron Jaw in this balloon ascension. Okay. Yeah, I'm I like my brain is like balloon ascension. What are we? Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. What does that mean? So This is uh, what the article states, the Buffalo commercial. (laughs) Leona in circus clothes, dangling downward from the trapeze bar, holding in her teeth a strap, which encircled the waist of Tommy Hall, her companion for her first voyage of the air. So that's her husband. Her companion for her first voyage in the air was perfectly cool. Just as soon as they left the earth, Leona commenced spinning Hall around. About 300 feet in the air, and they commenced their highfalutin performance, the double trapeze. So she would be attached to a hot air balloon, and that's where her iron jaw was hooked. And then she and her husband would do a double trapeze. They weren't in a like a big top. No, it was like an outdoor performance. So holy shit! I'll I'll show you a, a like an ad posting. It's crazy, right? Yeah, like what if it just goes too high? Well. How do you go down? We'll, adri- we'll address that. <laughs> These are all crazy questions. Is somebody in the hot air balloon up there? Like- yeah. Uh, so I just sent you like a posting, an ad posting from the Crystal Palace that advertises her in this balloon ascension. Like if I saw this in the paper, I'd be like, yeah, I want to go. <laughs> one shilling, one shilling to go. See this balloon ascension. 
My God. Okay, so there are people in. I mean, this is a, this is a photo, like not a photograph. This is like a drawing. There are people in. It's a normal hot air balloon that is manned by humans, and then she is under it, attached right. to you know the trapeze. Yeah, uh, and on this bill posting, it says the dates that she'll be there uh, at five o'clock, weather permitting. The admissions one shilling, and beneath it says Leona Dare made her first appearance in England at the Crystal Palace on Monday when her marvelous balloon ascent, with witnessed by over sixty-two thousand persons, created the most profound sensation. So it's just like, hey, she did this. You should see it. Come see it. Please I would want to. It's yeah. pretty wild. Just even looking at a drawing of it, I'd be like, damn. Um, The paper later declared that the authorities ought to prohibit these hot air balloon ascensions as they are dangerous and unprofitable. (laughs) And we ourselves never wish to again witness the foolhardy daring of Hall and Leona Dare up in a balloon. The preliminary balloon ascension was publicized widely. As discussed by Tate, the circus historian from the UK, Dare was likely the first woman to Quote, hang from a trapeze supporting and spinning the weight of a man from the iron draw apparatus. In August 1872, she was listed as leading the best female gymnast uh, in trapeze artists. So she was like the best of the best. Apparently. On top of the world at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, and in 1873, she is performing with the Warner Circus. In 1874, she's billed as the most graceful and intrepid female gymnast in the world. Literally on top of the world now. Yeah. So her Iron Jaw and Trapeze Act continued to garner much attention from the press. By April 1874, it's reported that she and her husband Hall were getting $150 a week in New York. I mean, and that's 18, you know. Yeah, 1874. Let's do a conversion. I feel like... Well, maybe maybe in like the couple. Do you want to do you want to guess? Not maybe not 10,000, but around there. I see. Let's see. 150 in 1874. I have no clue. I'm going to guess 1500, which is a nice round number. (laughs) Probably not right. For a week. I don't know why I don't do these before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's fun to do it live. I know, right? They're like, please. Don't do this anymore. Now people at home get to guess while we're finding. It's like, what do you think 150 bucks in 1875 was equivalent to right? today? Yeah. I feel like it's going to be, I don't know, five, seven thousand dollars or something like that. I might be going too high. <laughs> wow. A hundred dollars in 1874 is equivalent to the purchasing power of two thousand six hundred forty seven. So that's a hundred dollars. So 150. So it's probably closer to three thousand. Yeah. So I was too high. So we was in between both of us, but still around $3,000 a week. Three. So it's going to be $3,900. Damn. So it's almost 4,000. That's fucking good. That's yeah. That's good. A week. That's really good. It says the, the quote says 150 a week in New York and 200 out of it. I don't know what that means. Maybe, maybe their costs. Well, New York is expensive. (laughs) So maybe that's what they mean. Yeah. Um, so in 1875, she does suffer a fall in New Orleans. Uh Oh, where was her hubby to catch? I know, right? The paper, the New Orleans Republican reported that she was doing her trapeze act and quote, severely injured her back and side. Tony Dare was eating a hot dog at the time. I know, right? not be there to come. He's like, oh shit. <laughs> oh no. I was like, I think you're supposed to be doing something. What am I supposed to be? I have so much money. I don't yeah, know what's so happening. so much money. I, I'm sure <laughs> just, she's spending that. I'm just counting it and uh, I should be doing something. 
the injuries were so severe that in November of 1875, so later in that year, the Times Democrat ran an article titled Death of Leona Dare, stating that she had died of her injuries. Wow. Uh, she didn't. Yeah, I was going to say. like, it, She I, was alive. <laughs> she just couldn't perform for a while, I'm guessing. Yeah. So following those news reports. They're like, JK. <laughs> there's other papers that ran that Leona Dare was closing out her North American tour. They were like, uh, she's not dead. Also, she's ending her tour. Uh, she's still performing. Literally still performing, which also, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what? Um, I mean, she took a couple months off, but she was fine. Uh, and that the reports were saying she's ending her tour and she's traveling overseas to Europe to perform as well. Um, and this was supported by a passport application filed in October 1876. Um, another one was also filed for her husband, Hall. In 1878, uh, the Oxford in London describes her act as taking the strap, which her companion has fastened to his waist between her teeth. She holds him first in a horizontal position and then sets his body in a rotary motion. The pace presently becomes absolutely terrific. And we are by no means surprised when at the end, the victim of this whirling movement exhibits signs of giddiness. All who see Leona Dare will envy her teeth and must marvel at her strength of jaw. She probably chews her food so goddamn good. I, I know, wish right? I could do the same. Uh, she probably does. So In 1879, the London papers report how she separates from Hall, actually. She, she didn't catch a- her the second time. He was getting hot dogs um, and buying scarves. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he, she's like, you know what? You can go buy scarves and hot dogs on your own time, Jack. And he actually takes this, um, she tries to get a divorce from him. He's kind of giving her grief about it. And there's an issue because he's like, everyone likes hot dogs, honey. I don't understand what you're mad about. (laughs) He's like, he owns this apparatus that she performs on. Fucker. I'm sure he's like, oh, well, it's my apparatus. If you don't like my scarves, I'm taking the apparatus with me. He's kind of like, well, she can't do anything without my apparatus. And he's like, gives her kind of a hard time about it. As with apparatuses are the biggest pricks about it. I mean- they are. It's true. We've seen it. Um, but she eventually gets her divorce. Um, she remarries another man very soon after. His name is Ernest Theodore Grunbaum. In 1884, a tragedy strikes again. So she is performing with another partner, another man, because she's divorced her husband. And she's not performing with the new this new husband, but she is performing with uh, this man, M. George. So... The Boston Globe reports about this tragedy, and it is not good. Leona Dare, the American acrobat, was hanging by her feet from the roof of the theater. Where is she performing? In Vienna. No, wait. No, no, she's in in the U.S. because the Boston Globe. I'm not sure. We'll we'll find out in this article. Hold on. (laughs) Leona Dare, the American acrobat, was hanging by her feet from the roof of the theater and holding in her teeth a trapeze. Damn. (laughs) on which M. George was performing. Miss Dare was seized with a nervous fit and dropped the trapeze. M. George fell to the floor and was fatally injured. Oh, God. Yeah. Miss Dare clung to the roof, screaming hysterically, and was rescued with difficulty after the panic was ended. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
And you don't know if it's her fault or not, right? Like he could have fallen on his own, but like still. This reports that she had a nervous fit and that's why. Whatever the fuck that means. I mean, was she sneezing? What the? Yeah, exactly. It's like, what what is a nervous? That nervous fit is like an old timey way to say like, uh, like we don't know. She had an itch. Yeah, exactly. What is that? You don't know. Like for all we could have known up there, he could have been like, I'm full, I'm slipping. And she's like, holy shit, don't slip. And he's like, yeah. And then she freaked out. You know what I mean? Like a nervous fit doesn't mean anything. That's like how you describe women having feelings in the past. Yeah, I know, right? So it's like, whatever. But yeah, yeah, fucking neck. Come on, man. I know, right? So following this fall and the death of her partner, there's rumors that start to circulate about her and like her competency, basically, as a performer. Yeah, instead of maybe thinking that like the fact that they're using string to hold together the and her fucking teeth, like Jesus Christ, this is just an inherently risky thing, and it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, paper, the Police Gazette, even states, "quote Leona Dare's false teeth are said to have caused by slipping the fall and the death of her partner M. George." So they're like false teeth. Like you've got wooden teeth, right? You fraud. Then it's like. She's 33. She doesn't have false teeth, dude. Also, I don't think you could do this with false teeth. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It just pull could right come out. out of your mouth. I don't think you could do this. I yeah. think it would just happen. Yeah, no. But by 1888, her career rebounds because she performs the ascension again, the balloon ascension in Brussels. And, mm-hmm. quote... This is uh, explaining the balloon ascension that she performed in Brussels. A trapeze is attached at the bottom of a basket, suspended from the balloon, and to the crossbar, an iron hook is fixed, which has an Indian rubber mouthpiece at one end. This, Miss Dare proceeds, I take into my mouth, the balloon is started, and I ascend, hanging below it my arms and legs, and in fact, my whole body perfectly free, except that I hold the mouthpiece between my teeth. <laughs> Yikes. That's so scary. Yowza. So this article remains one of the only documented interviews with her, apparently, uh, throughout her career. So she continues to perform this. She has rebounded. People don't think she has false teeth. They are on her side again. In 1890, she performs this balloon ascension for the last time in Paris because she's performing it and the wind catches. Like oh, you God. said. Um, and she's like, oh shit. And it keeps going up higher and higher. And she's like, oh no. And she's like, fuck, like I will die if I fall for sure. So the wind is like catching it. It's taking it up over these trees and shit. And she's like, I got to jump ship for sure. So she yeah. just, she just jumps off. So she's like too high, <laughs> too high. And she jumps off. Did she like, to the fall ground. into trees or something? Yeah, she falls. Uh, she falls down and she breaks a leg. But she's just like, I can't. It's going too high. It's way too high. Because well, then, if it starts to drift in different directions, it's like any safety precautions you had set up are now gone. And also, it's like swinging too hard for her too. It's like the breeze of it is like you can't you can't handle that on your mouth like that. Here's the other crazy thing about this. Okay, so you imagine you're being like drifted along and you have to let go. Normally, what you do. You'd wait until maybe you're above a tree or something so that it could break your fall. You right. could grab onto something and you don't fall the whole way. She's facing up. Right. Because so she, she can't has see. to light the thing up. Yeah. So she can't see what she's above. That's a good point. So this, yeah. is a, this is a leap of faith. Fuck, man. That's so crazy. The fact that she didn't die is insane. Like, mm-hmm. 
You know, it's I mean, even if you could see down, it would be crazy that you don't die or become more seriously injured. But again, it was a guess where she let go. Like literally she could have been letting go over a bunch of pointed sticks. Like, why are they there? I don't know. But she doesn't know. She does not know. You're right. Oh, God. Soon after that, she retires. She moves to Staten Island. Why would you move there? Yeah. Why would you go to Staten Island (laughs) on the way out? But she does. Um, and in 1900, it's reported that she resumes her search for her missing mother. There you go. And um, she just continues to do that until her death in 1922. Become a detective. Why not? Yeah, become a detective. So she's reported to travel over 15,000 miles in search of her mother until her, she passes away in 1922. She's buried in Spokane, Washington. And her many obituaries detail the balloon ascension, iron jaw, and trapeze acts. The New York Times celebrated her worldwide reputation for, quote, hanging by her teeth from a pendant on the trapeze, end quote. She was very, very famous, very innovative, and hanging from a hot air balloon Fucking is balloon. nuts. Like, nuts, nuts, nuts. So that's uh, one interesting iteration, I think. Uh, the balloon thing is pretty insane. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know that this hasn't happened with like, you know, regular trapeze doing it underneath a hot air balloon. But to skip that whole level and jump straight to iron jaw on a balloon. Holy shit. Right. <laughs> like, oh, my God. It's it's just it's insane. It is insane. It's so it's impressive and also scary. Very of all those things. I wanted to chat about uh, Miss Lala. Yeah. Just briefly. I know we discussed her in a whole episode, but just wanted to touch on her. Uh, but if you recall, Miss Lala was super petite. She's barely five foot tall. She had a trapeze background. Born, you know, her real full name was um, Anna Albertina Olga Brown. And she was born in... Her name is my name, too. Yeah, right? Uh, she was born in April 1858 in Prussia. She has German birth records. So it was Prussia. Is Prussia now Germany? What? I need to get my geography ready. <laughs> yeah, it's it's honestly, I was so bad at geography. And then in like the you know, end of high school, early college, I started playing Risk. And that gave me a much better idea. Oh, really? Yeah, but there's still like certain like, you know, it, it was a much better general idea. Okay. But for smaller areas, I'm like, Prussia is like, that sounds like Eastern Europe area to me. But maybe it's Poland. I don't know. Well, there's a chunk of, of you know, the Eastern Europe uh, area where all these kind of things are. And I don't know where the borders are and I don't know who I'm is what. I'm sorry for all you listeners of our ignorance of borders in We're that just area. like you guys. We don't know things. Yeah. <laughs> so we and all have things we know and don't. Yeah. And look, you guys, I don't know anything about anything. <laughs> so come on. Uh, so uh, that's where she was born. Prussia, wherever Prussia was. She started performing at a very early age. She started performing trapeze, uh, which then segued into Iron Jaw. And like Mark mentioned, one of the more famous parts of her uh, Iron Jaw act was actually having a cannon suspended from her mouth. So she would have her legs over a trapeze and she would be upside down with the Iron Jaw mouthpiece in her mouth. And then a cannon would be hooked to the other end. (laughs) And uh, fired. And then fire. She would allegedly hold the strength of three people when she was hanging from her iron draw apparatus. So she had 
this iron jaw apparatus that she would hang from her iron jaw that had like kind of triangled out. So it had like multiple trapeze um, where she had a woman and a man and a kid and they could all hang on the same time. You literally have three people's lives in your hands. Yeah. But the cannon is interesting because it was alleged that like three men rolled this cannon out because that's how heavy it was, apparently. So allegedly, and according to Bandwagon, she made her debut at nine years of age, replacing the quote, nine? Most, yeah, re- uh, replacing the most, quote, most famous and highly paid aerialist of the day, Leon Adair. She was like on her heels, essentially. Uh, and, and well, it's like all the other like all stars that we've talked about. They pretty much all start super young. And it, it yeah. seems like across the board. Um, it's not I mean, I wouldn't say it's 100. Nothing is 100 percent true all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but like basically almost all of them, they start super young and it's yeah. true of like any kind of prodigy. It's like you start young and then you have so much more time to like. Yeah, evolve. Totally, totally. Often the two were compared. I mean, they're three years apart because Leona Dare's 1855 was when she was born and Miss Lala was born in 1858. You're so. always going to compare the the top people at the time. I mean, you know, Michael Jordan came by and then Kobe, they're, of course, and then LeBron, they're going to just compare right. to the other, you know, it's, it's like, totally. who is better? Who is this and that? It's like, totally. No, even if they're like 20 years apart, you're going to compare them to the last person who was on top of the world. According to Bandwagon, Miss Lala was, quote, billed as stronger than Dare before her. Miss Lala received less coverage, however, with only pieces of her biography assembled by researchers, according to Petitate. That's like I can attest to that when doing her her episode. It was like pretty hard to it was like really hard to find shit on her. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's multiple reasons for that, I'm sure. And similar to Leona Dare, Miss Lala was assigned a backstory for marketing purposes. Or they just like played off of her appearances to market her as like exotic, quote exotic. That was always that was like their marketing play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So they would market her as African queen in England or La Venus Noir in Paris, et cetera, et cetera. So you can recognize the immense offensiveness there uh, oh yeah yeah well and 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 if anyone is like i don't know why exotic is kind of not the way to talk these days it's like it's because that was like the go-to like not white the yeah they, they'd be like exotic which is like quote exotic which is like different yeah it's just <laughs> like, like you're different and we're interested right. in you as a spectacle it's like this is kind of yeah. why it's not yeah. the best way to describe yeah. any because yeah. really the, the the undercurrent is exotic to who Exotic to white. Right. Like we've determined exotic. Like, yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a couple other names that I'm just like, no, gross. Products Uh, of your time that can die with the time. A hundred percent. But that was like, they would just exploit her appearance. And the sad thing was that was like just the commonplace thing at the time. A hundred percent. Just ignorant, unfortunate, common practice for marketing. Uh, Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that's like, both like you hate to read about and re I mean, not relive, but like be reminded of, mm-hmm. but it's also important to remember that this shit was like, yeah, sadly normal. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to glaze over things like that because I, it, it deserves acknowledgement that it happened. And there's a balance, right? There's like, right. A, we can tell you this happened, but we don't have to get into the grossest aspects of it. You know, yeah. that's not the point of this show. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, some episodes we will, unfortunately. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, time and place. But sure. one of the things that's crazy to remember about this is like, okay, like, so she's what? What year is her story taking place? It's like early nineteen hundreds. Um, no, she's in like the late eighteen hundreds. Late eighteens. Okay, but again, that's what two hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's the thing. There's so much, and I mean, not to get too off topic, but there's so much to talk about. Like, oh, like you know, like racism is fixed, or like it's not happening anymore. Like, look around, people have. And it's like this was two hundred years ago, man. Right. This is not that long. Ago. Yeah, it's not that long ago. And, well, it's, and it's like sixty years ago, there was still like laws that of discrimination. And it was. It's not quite two hundred years ago, even. Like, no, like, well, that's the thing. It's like this is all way closer than most people think because if mm-hmm. you're born in a time where these things are not necessarily the norm or they're not mm-hmm. like laws, like actual laws, it's just like personal discrimination or societal. Like, you, some people will just think, oh, it's fixed. It's not here. It's like, dude, this was like 60 years ago. There's still people who lived through all this shit. Yeah. Like, she's, this is like two generations ago. Exactly. You know? And that's why it's still so prevalent because yeah. there's, it's literally in people's bones and in their like, yeah. Yeah. ancestry sadly yeah. like it's just it's in the bones of this country it's just you can't it's not never gonna go away fast but we're going in the right direction yeah yeah we're going in the right direction yes you are right but yeah it was not that long ago hashtag it, it still sucks but <laughs> hashtag it still sucks it's still, it's still so much of work that needs to be done it's better than it was at least if we're gonna yeah. take solace in something Hashtag it still sucks. Uh, <laughs> hashtag it still sucks. It's a hashtag a little better. Hashtag still sucks. Uh, long way to go. <laughs> hashtag long way to go. Uh, long roads. Um, according to Bandwagon, quote, regarding physique, it is notable that Miss Lala, Miss Lala's carte de visite, which French, I guess. So, yeah, is a French way of saying body type? Like what? I guess. Uh, uh, was simple and not over-sexualized. I guess so. Yeah, her physique. But she was often described as being strong, both her body and her teeth, but not viewed as expressly feminine, end quote. She was really short, if I'm remembering. She right. was about five feet. I'm going to send you a picture of her so you remember what she looked yeah, like. Yeah, we recorded that episode like a long time year. ago. Well, like two years ago. Jeez, what is time? I, I mean, I'm going to get it tattooed on me. What what is time? But what? like, yeah, I remember she her being really short and but like also like like buff. muscular, yeah. yeah, super buff. And I think that's probably the perfect combo for this yeah. type of thing. I think shortness really helps you. Like, like again, it's just it's less. You're one of your shorter people generally have better balance because it's contained. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the longer and lankier you are, you're just your 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 body's all out over the place. Yeah, less to control. But yeah, she's like. Barely five feet, but she's strong and compact. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, yeah, I see. I see that bicep. She is not even flexing. She's strong as hell. Um, She's so strong. In her headlining act, Miss Lala's strength was unlike any other Iron Draw performer. And a quote from Tate's documents recount her performance in detail. Quote, she hung upside down with her knees bent over at least one trapeze, suspending a second trapeze below her from an iron jaw. In the first part of the act, a boy, a woman, and a man took in turns to do acrobatic poses on the second trapeze below her. At some point in her act, Lala hauled herself up to the roof with a rope, probably attached to an iron jaw threaded through a pulley. Following this trick, Lala lifted three men. For the finale, Lala hung upside down again while a small brass cannon was maneuvered into place from its wheeled carriage by three men. So three men wheeled this thing 
from a carriage. They say small, but like, you know, this thing has to be at least 80 pounds. Oh, at least, at least. Yeah. Again, and, and for three men to push it, like that means it's probably more like 120 or, or so. Like, right. hell, maybe more if it required three men to do. I yeah. mean, granted, look, they may have put three dudes on it to make it more seem heavier than it need. Like, you know, one guy probably could have pushed it. But still, this thing, let's just say on average, 100 pounds. Think about it this way. With the four people, the three people that were on it, that's we are. I think we talked about this in her episode, but that's probably a combination of like maybe 400 pounds. Right. Like if they're all petite, the the, the man and woman, let's say on average, just for yeah. ease, both are 120 pounds. Like it's yeah. probably more than that. But like, say he's 150. She's 120. That's that's 270. That kid is 80 pounds. Right. That's that's at least 300 pounds. Right? No, that's more than that. It's 350. No, yeah, it's, it's more than that, but it's like, yeah, it's between three and 400 pounds. It's like, that's a lot. That's a lot of weight on your mouth. That's so much. That's a lot of weight to hold as a person. Yeah. Like to hold with your hands built for holding. Fuck, man. To then put that's it crazy. all on your mouth and neck, like that yeah. is. And again, you know, the cannon is probably lighter than that, but then the momentum of it firing is so sudden. Like, yeah. So. Using a pulley in the iron jaw, Lala lifts the cannon into the air with a chain, and then the cannon is fired. Jesus. Which is crazy. So she lifts it. I don't know if it's in her mouth, and then she pulls it up or what? Like, like pulls it with her hands or what? But then she fires it, which is wild. So the cannon was her most publicized, a highly publicized act, and inspired future performers to duplicate the daredevil feat which we saw from that other person who fell and knocked her head on that cannon. This is another thing where like, you know, I feel like I could talk for like a half an hour just about this one act. But like seriously, also think about where on the cannon there needs to be the attachment to her mouth guard. It has to be in the middle. Yeah, it has to be in the middle. If that is off and the weight is up, one end is going to bow up and the other down. That's going to pull her in weird directions. And it's just like there's just so much precision that has to go on in these things. I mean, we talked about in the fire people out of a cannon episode how much math was involved in that. Like mm-hmm. the same thing with Globe of Death. It's like so much needs to be precise for right. these things to work. And if right. there's any small mistake or shoddy craftsmanship anywhere, lives are on the line. It's true. It's super true. It's super true. <laughs> um, <laughs> that one gets a super true award. Super true. <laughs> um, so the cannon was like what she was super well known for. People were trying to duplicate this. What she's also well known for is that very notable painter Degas had painted yeah. her. French impressionist painter Degas painted her in 1879 while she was performing at Cirque Fernando. He was inspired to render her in more than 20 drawings and sketching sketches according to Bandwagon. But the particular famed piece that she is seen in and people know Degas for painting her is now at the National Gallery of London. So I'll send that to you to remind you what it looks like. Um, and we'll discuss it because he drew it for like the point of view. Yeah, because he was in the audience, right? Right, right. Yeah. But also like to do something like this in this time, it's like you couldn't take a picture and then draw the right. picture. You had to like, right. be there and either be drawing it then Mm -hmm. or like draw it from memory yeah so from a 2013 wall street journal article quote when miss lala performed at the cirque fernando the circus was kind of a craze among parisians from all ranks of life 
It makes perfect sense that Degas attended her debut engagement as a connoisseur of the spectacle. It's alleged that Degas particularly wanted to show the immense height of her performance from the audience's POV and conveyed the strain on her jaws. So you'll see in this painting, this famous painting, that it's from an up POV uh, from the audience's perspective. And it looks like you can see her jaw and how it's kind of pulling like it. And it doesn't look like it's easy. You know what I mean? Do an appreciation for the fact that the only part of her that is attached, and I use Mm -hmm. that word lightly, to this is her jaw. Mm -hmm. And so she's making a little pose in this with like, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of like dramatize it. (laughs) That's not a word. Um, But add drama to what, you know, what she's doing. Um, Yeah, maybe that's a word. I don't know. It's It sounds wrong when I say it. But she's dramatizing it with just a little pose. And it's like, you know. Holding your hands out in a way, bending your legs in a certain way when there is no support mm-hmm. takes energy. Every yeah. bit of her. And so, like, we've been talking so much about how her mouth and her neck and everything are using so much strength. But mm-hmm. the rest of her body is, too. This is full. Like, circus is full body all the time. Right. And it's just like, again, just the athleticism of the people who do this is unmatched. The most full body type of thing. Like, it's. It's gymnastics at its most extreme, to like, honestly. It's true. Um, after 1880, she performed with the Cairo Troupe, where she and her partner performed a version of the human butterfly. Like, if you remember, Mark, like, they had, like, the white and black butterflies. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. And then if I recall, I think one of her partners passed away during her perform during a performance. But I think it was, like, a separate thing that the perfor- the performer was doing. And then she moved on. She married a man in 1886. That was a contortionist, Emmanuel Charles Woodson. They went on to have three children and they were all in circus, the performing Kazayas. And I think that she continued to perform here and there. And then the kids started to perform and then they just traveled. Um, And that was that was her life. She had a pretty cool life, but she's like very impactful as far as one being a, a woman of color. Um, yeah, and, and at that time, like Jesus Christ. Yeah, and and two, just the demonstration of like immense strength from such a small person. You know what I mean? Compact. Um, yeah, so she was like really shattering a lot of stereotypes, and as far as like females, people of color, absolutely. Well, she like, she was the pinnacle of this, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, my God, she was just like so huge and she should have gotten far more attention far far more so a another performer we're going to talk about emma jutau we see an interesting variation introduced with her she's known as the speed queen oh <laughs> never heard speed come involved in this exactly right so the iterations of feet of strength and danger are kind of introduced here leona dare has her cool balloon ascension miss lala displays like truly like utter strength and endurance, right? But now we see this third variation of Iron Jaw to the supergroup triad of these ladies because they're all performing kind of at the same time. It's noted by Petitate, uh, quote, Emma Jaw, I'm sorry, Emma Jaw, wow. <laughs> Emma Jutal <laughs> speeds down a 200 foot or longer sloping wire. She's suspended from her Iron Jaw with claims of reaching 65 miles an hour. Whoa. Yeah. She's like zip lining with yes, her mouth. That's exactly she's what she's doing. Going faster than zip lines go, to be honest. Yes, 60 yeah. is the fast amount you go on the highway. 
So um, it's with this speed that promoted Emma's international fame. She's not given as much press or publicity as Leona Dare because I've heard of Leona Dare. I've never heard of Emma Dutal. I mean, she's uh, like the third person at this point to, right. to do this. So maybe that's part of it. Yeah. The coverage she did get noted for is the great speed of the act and how it uh, was like a quote, unique contribution to the iron jaw. So she, is she going at a downward angle? She's like, she's descending. at like a 45 degree angle. Okay. So I'll show you a photo of like a drawing of her act. Um, Cause there are no pictures. again. And the thing with this is like kind of what we were saying with the air balloon is like, you can't see anywhere, but up. So to know, you don't know if you're on the right trajectory or not. Right. If you're doing something like this. Like there is so much like just, I don't even know, like awareness you need to have just like body awareness and to like know the length of the rope and know what the ceiling, I guess, looks like when you're doing this to know if yeah. you're at the end of it or what, like, because I don't know, like it's just, it's just stuff like that is so crazy. I mean, I agree. It's like, you just got to practice, I guess. I, and uh, you get used to, I guess, what it looks like and feels like to like be towards the end. Cause obviously also like, Blind people are capable of incredible things. So like, why couldn't, but just for, for those of us who rely on sight, it's just so crazy to think about. I mean, this image makes, I mean, granted, this is a drawing, um, but this does make it look like maybe she could kind of just like glance down her nose and see where she's going. So maybe. Right. But the idea is that she's fucking flying down that thing. Yeah. 60, 60 miles per hour. That, that's really fast. That's very fast. Well, the thing is, too, when you're going 60 in your car, it doesn't often feel like you're going that fast um, because your body is at rest, like, mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. But, like, when you are standing and then you see someone drive past you at 60 miles per hour, that's the only way you really appreciate the speed of it. Right. Now, when someone goes past you at 40 miles per hour, you're like, holy shit, that, yeah. that's, that would kill someone if they had, like. So, like, her just going that speed, like, that is really wild. Yeah, agreed. According to Bandwagon, and I agree, her doing this changes the act for future performers making speed as vital as far as, like, the risk, the spectacle, and the strength, you know? Yeah, she introduces, a, like, a third element to it. Right. So, like Lala and, and Leona Dare, she also has a background in trapeze. And she toured with various American circuses. And it's documented that in 1874 in the New York Clipper, she's commended for her ceiling walk act, which sounds like a high wire act, double trapeze act with George Brown. Um, the following year in the Buffalo Evening Post, they give a review of her act. It says Emma Jutal and her partner, Mr. George Brown, and their intrepid performances upon the trapeze never fail to bring down the house. So she's getting great reviews. But in 1879, she suffers a fall during her trapeze. Quote, in Paris, darting headfirst to a mattress. Yeah. She, oh, thank God this mattress. I know. She was carried from the building badly hurt, but is pronounced out of danger. End quote. So soon after this injury, it's reported that she makes the transition to Iron Jaw. And, quote, publicized this notable speed that would soon become a staple of her act stating Miss Emma Jutau is an American lady with a considerable gymnastic reputation. Her principal feat is to descend from a great height at a rate of over 60 miles an hour suspended by her teeth beneath a wire set at an angle of 45 degrees. Um, I mean, continues to get, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, just also the speed for that time. Yeah. Is also nuts. incredible because I don't know what the 
top speed of cars were at that time. But yeah. something tells me they weren't going much faster than 60 miles per hour. I mean, did they have cars in the 1880s? I don't even know. I don't either. I so feel like, like maybe. let's say let's say there are no cars. I mean, I mean, I'm sure someone immediately listening to this. They're like, you fucking idiot. Google it. Huh? And we're like, these right. are one of the <laughs> things that we don't know. Just like geography. Like, where's Prussia? What are cars? Oh, when did they Prussia start? Is, or when cars started? That's not what we. <laughs> Callie's expertise huh? is in circus and mine is in nerd shit. Look, watch. I'm going to Google. When did cars start? 1886. OK, so not yet. All right. We're right. Yeah. So like. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like she is going faster than like anything. I anything. mean, I don't know. Maybe trains are, are, are a thing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Still. Still. Like 60 That's miles crazy. an hour is fast still. And in still. back then when very few things could go that speed, like now we can all pretty much go that speed if we feel like it. But she's doing it just out in the world on a string. That's so scary. That's so scary because, I mean, on a zip line, you probably go 15 miles an hour max. Yeah, max. and that still feels fast. Like, again, when you're not in something and you're just out going that speed, like try to keep your eyeballs open. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you are in the backseat of a car that someone's driving, you stick your head out or just look at a dog. They're blinking like crazy. Just the wind catching them like she's there's nothing. She, it's just she, it's just her fucking mouth. Also, I don't know if it addresses it. I'm going to have to. I can't remember. But. I don't think it addresses like how she stops. I was just going to ask that. Yeah, like that. That's the that's the most dangerous part. I mean, look, maybe there's a mattress at the end. But like when you're going that speed, it's dangerous no matter what you're bumping into. Yeah, maybe she jumps off or something. But still, that's still crazy. But it's still like the speed makes it so even if you do everything right, it's just like if you land wrong, you'll hurt yourself because just like. There's no, yeah, the, the like, it's not just about the height anymore or, or about like the fact that your mouth is taking all this pressure, the speed. Also, if you stop abruptly, Ouch. like, yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> how are you not pulling teeth out? Like, dude, I know. Right. So, uh, in an 1880 edition of the London reader, uh, the reporter details her act and also ranks her above the still famous and still performing Leona Dare because she's still performing in 1880. And here's what the article says, quote, the gymnast element is represented by Emma Jutau and eclipses the startling feats of Leona Dare. This remarkable lady hangs by her feet on a trapeze suspended from the roof of the building and then twirls around a male attendant with incredible speed as he clings to a cord which she holds in her teeth. Having dislodged this coadjutor, from his perilous situation, Emma Jutau afterwards suspends her own body by her teeth from a wire more than 100 feet in length stretched from one end of the hall to the other at an angle of about 45 degrees. In this position, she descends or rather falls from top to bottom. And if her descent is not made exactly in the twinkling of an eye, it is certainly made with amazing, amazing rapidity. So very fast, I guess. AKA <laughs> very old timey way of saying fucking right. fast. Another report from 1883 stated, quote, suspended by her pearly teeth alone, she flashes down 200 feet of wire from the lofty apex of the stupendous hippodrome, end quote. She's also listed in the 1883 route book of P.T. Barnum's Greatest Show and Great London Circus. So she's performing with P.T. Barnum in 1883. Impressive. Right. Those are the... Uh, the non-Bailey years <laughs> where he's building his house. 
Uh, she's documented to be performing double, double trapeze and, quote, slide by the teeth. That's what she's listed as doing. What else would it be called? <laughs> <laughs> Which is very funny. Um, oh, I do slide by teeth. Yeah. And it's uh, accompanied by the drawing of her doing the performance over the crowd, which I just sent you. Yeah. So there's a drawing of her performance in this uh, route book, apparently. Man, uh, and, and the audience in this are drawn so great because they're very like, just go go check the gram because they're the most simply faced. It's just like it's two just eyes like and a mouth on almost barely, barely. Because that's not what you're looking at when you first look at it. And she's drawn like very well. And yeah. And you see everyone else. You're like, oh, my God, these freaking cartoons. <laughs> they're like, we don't care about those fucking. Yeah. Animals. It's like stick figure drawings watching a real woman walk by. It's crazy. She's documented in newspapers and reviews on the East Coast through at least 1889. And then there's not much documentation after that, unfortunately. This introduction of this immense speed of Iron Jaw would impact a future performer and first Disneyland Park Tinkerbell oh. performer Tiny Klein. So we'll talk about performer Tiny Klein. She arrived to the U.S. from Hungary in 1905, which records show... From the New York port arrival, her arrival documents show her listed as Helen du Deutsch or Deutsch. She's 15 years old and arriving from Hungary. So assuming this is correct, she's born in 1890. So like many of the other Iron Jaw performers we've discussed, Tiny, Helen, is five feet tall. So like to your point, she's a very compact performer, right? She starts dancing and performing in New York halls, music halls, and clubs. She moves to Pittsburgh for a, a bit, and then she moves back. In 1914, she marries famed per circus performer and equestrian writer Otto Klein. So that's where she gets her last name, Klein. I saw that name, and I was like, oh, shit, Otto Klein. Like, my grandpa has a bunch of po posters that show oh, really? him. And I was like, oh, Otto Klein. Oh, interesting. That makes sense, because her last name is Deutsch or Deutsch or whatever. So she takes his last name. Six months after they marry, in April 1915, Otto fractured his skull during oh, a performance at, at Madison Square Garden, and he dies of his injuries. Six months after they get married. That's like, crazy. Fuck. So 1916, the New York Tribune stated that Klein, Tiny Klein, quote, went to Mr. Ringling and asked him to let her work in the circus. End quote. She began practicing on the trick horses, working her way to Roman riding, and even suffering two serious falls. When reporters asked if she was scared of injury, she replied, quote, You know, when you don't mind dying, there's nothing left to be afraid of. Fucking hey, how old yeah. is she when she's saying this? Uh, 1916, so she's 26. God damn. I know. Um, she learned the Roman riding. She performed on Otto's two-year death anniversary at Madison Square Garden. So the anniversary of his passing, she performed that act that he Think died. she's not afraid of dying. I Jesus know, right. Christ. So she performed an equestrian act on his like death anniversary at the same venue he died in like two years later. And she really loved him. Like it was just like an, an ode to him. So during an interview after the show, she said, quote, we circus people have to learn to hide our sorrow under many bright colors. Otto has been dead two years, but I haven't found anything in life to take his place, end quote. By 1919, she ventured in trying the Roman rings, and Klein alleges that she, quote, incurred the wrath of her sometimes friend Lillian Lietzel. Oh! So, because she did the Roman rings. Yeah. Right? Lillian Lietzel did the Roman rings, or Lietzel. My friend Chris 
who's like a generational performer, it was like, it's light soul. And I was like, Oh, oh we did a whole episode. on. <laughs> but that. I said that to, I told, I said that to my grandma. I was like, it's actually light soul. She's like, really? She's like, we all say lead soul. And I was like, okay, well, I feel, I feel better. <laughs> yeah. You're not the, uh, we're not the only one. Yeah. I'm like you. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so she incurred the wrath of Lillian Leitzel, Leitzel, um, when she started doing the Roman rings, because that's like Lillian Leitzel's thing. And this is all according to the book Circus Queen and Tinker, a memoir of Tiny Klein by Janet Davis. And allegedly Leitzel, Leitzel <laughs> told her, she told Tiny Klein that she's more built for Iron Jaw. She's like, yeah, maybe you do Iron Jaw. You don't do my shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stay in your lane, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Klein, quote, decided to leave the rings to Lietzel and developed her skill with the iron jaw and trapeze. It's recounted in the memoir, this book, her painstaking process of learning iron jaw. Quote, the learning process was excruciating. Once the extreme agony of the first two weeks practice was lived through, the next two weeks would see a gradual tapering off of the pain in the eyes, nose and jaw. And the temples would also cease the hammering sensation. The vertebrae that made that cracking sound in the back of the neck every time the mouth took the weight of the body would be quite silent by the third week. Oh, <laughs> God, I didn't even think about it. Your nose and eyes would feel like stretched as fuck. Of course they would. Oh, and well, this I didn't is, even think about that. This is all echoed like this, like feeling of like your face, your eyes, your head, your neck. God, your head probably feels like it's going to be ripped in half. My friend Nikki was like, yes, she was like, your whole face hurts. You're, I was like, so what hurts? Like, cause I know hair hang like your head and you get like a headache. She's like your whole, the, your whole face. She's like, it's your whole face. All oh like, my God. Ugh. God. The, yeah. And the cracking goes away on the third week. Jesus, Jesus. Christ. I mean, like it, it, the, one of the things to me that is impressive about this is, uh, you know, there was one time I worked a job where I was working like 12, 14 hour days for two weeks straight with no day oh, off. And no. on the second week, I was like, oh, the human body can get used to anything because now it, it doesn't like not that it is fun or easy, but like your brain's like, oh, I just do this now. Yeah. And yeah, this, that's what this reminds me of with this. It's like, you mm -hmm. know, after two weeks of intense pain, your body's like, oh, I have to adapt to this now. Right. And then it right. does. Like when once you get through those hurdles, then your body's like, oh, I understand. I will change now. Yeah. Um, this isn't yeah. a phenomenon. This isn't all the time thing. And it's yeah. it is again, the hu the human body is very impressive and what it can learn to do. It's gnarly. So like I said, my friend Nikki's like she when she was learning, she had to start like by seconds, by hanging by like seconds. And like inch by inch, she could hang longer, but she said the pain was like unbelievable. Like the worst headache you've had, like by times like a hundred. And it's like in your temple and your neck and your vertebrae, just like tiny Klein describes and like your face hurts, everything hurts. And I'm like, why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah, why keep <laughs> what are doing you doing? <laughs> why learn? Um, so tiny Klein takes a hiatus after four years with Ringling, mm -hmm. uh, which would land her in about like around 1924. She starts a family. She marries a chemist and she moves to Cuba. Um, Why not? And after seven years of that, like the family life, she wants to come back. One, Her face to, does not hurt enough. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I need more pain. So by 1931, according to a few documents, it felt as though bookers and agents had forgotten her. But she was determined to make them remember again because she's like, I want to get back in the mix. 
but no one remembers me. What am I going to do? Um, people uh, move on real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a 1931 article read, quote, Daredevil Girl holds Plainland Spectators spellbound by slide, end quote. So the article explained how Tiny Klein would swing a chair by her teeth to tra- just to train. Just to train. Just to train. Casual training. Just training. Uh, so she would do this every day using an iron jaw mouthpiece in order to practice and get her grip stronger. She soon started her iron jaw slide performance after connecting with bookers at Playland, similar to Emma Jutau. So she would start at the top of a tower, and then she would slide down the incline wire the 1,200 feet to the bottom of the tower. Is that right? 1,200? Hold on. Because <laughs> I have like, was it 1,200 or was it 200? And I put a one in front of it. It's very possible. Um, 1,200 is a lot. Yeah, that's right. 1,200 feet. Damn. Holy shit. Damn. Damn. So 1,200 feet from the bottom of the tower. Wow. She fucking, that's crazy. I'm like, I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, fuck. But I did write it. <laughs> um, wow. And it is true. Uh, 1932, she continued these feats over large public spaces. She slid from the top of Prospect Theater, crossing New York Times Square at a distance of 200 yards at a height of 27 stories. This was covered by newspapers nationally. Quote, thousands of New Yorkers gathered in the street to watch. And this is all according to That's Landwagen. cool. I-, I was just picturing like, what if you were in like a sports stadium and someone went from one end to the other like that? And then they, yeah. you said the thing about Times Square and I was like, fuck. <laughs> Can you imagine just being in Times Square at that point? Like you're, yeah. just, you're just going about your day and then there's a so, woman zip lining via mouth. <laughs> via mouth. Across just the sky. Right. My God. Here's her going over wow. New York. Oh, my God. That's crazy. so far. Isn't that crazy? And you're going to keep picking up speed as you go on that. Like, that's incremental. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. How did sure. she stop? Like, what? You I know. look at this and there's a thing at the, uh, like, at the end of her travels, but what is it? <laughs> Does it, it must flatten out. It's got it. Yeah, it must, like, start to slow in a way. There must be a way for the end to kind of slow. But still, when you have that much momentum, you're going to go. You're totally going to go. Even if it starts to slope up to like slow you down, just like Jesus. It's it. uh, Also, it looks like she's wearing a corset in this, which if that's true, like what What the the fuck? fuck? Yeah. How is she doing? You need to breathe when you do this. Oh, my God. I know. Right. So those are some pictures of her slipping and sliding across prospect theater and then the other one i think that's the Times square one she's just going through this freaking city is this one Times square i think that one is Times square oh my god yeah wild right yeah <laughs> yeah Klein allegedly said following the slide quote at last i found a safe way to cross Times square <laughs> for a second i was like what the fuck oh she's joking yeah she's joking <laughs> Uh, so when she crossed Times Square like this, she was arrested afterward. What? Because they, because they're like, they didn't want you her don't to have do a it. permit for this. Yeah. Um, and she's like, "There's no that doesn't exist." Yeah. So and then <laughs> there is no permit for this. When they printed the story in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle the next day, there was a photo of her printed on the front accompanying the story of her being arrested, and she's laughing because <laughs> she's like, "Okay, fine, I don't care." The article reported she was charged with disorderly conduct and then released the next day, like according to Bandwagon. 
there's like at least it's press and we had to i guess we had to arrest yeah we can't let anyone just do this um, It'll start a precedent. I know, right? Everyone's going to zip line across New York. Zip lining across <laughs> New York City. So she wanted to do this from the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Oh, wow. And they're like, no, <laughs> you can't. She okay? should have did what she did in New York. Just don't ask. But I guess they'd be like, why? What are you setting up there? Why are you climbing all these stairs yeah, yeah. with all this shit <laughs> in your outfit <laughs> or whatever? So according to Bandwagon in 1933, she appears performing with the Shrine Circus with headlines of Death Defying Ride, performing at the Armory venue. Days later, a Connecticut paper, the Record Journal, prints a headline that reads, quote, Women aerialist narrowly escapes death in Hartford, describing her breaking through restraints at the end of her slide for life. I think it's called slide for life. So she breaks through her restraints at the end of the slide for life and crashing, quote, against a steel tripod, which supported her wire, narrowly escaping death. Oh, the the coverage also stated that, quote, the jerk of the rope in her mouth, however, broke her jaw and several teeth. Yeah. She also suffered lacerations about the face and head and may have fractured her skull. This is a May casual, maybe fractured your skull. Maybe. We don't know. We're not sure. I honestly am impressed. This is the first time we've heard missing teeth. So that answers uh, the the issues of stopping. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes they don't. (laughs) Sometimes just momentum's a bitch and it's going to get you. Breaking through restraints. So she must have restraints. Even if you just had like a huge like mattress wall to smash into, you're still going to. You still have a thing in your mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you still are like, they can still, like, I just feel like there's so much that can go wrong. Like, yeah, because it's like breaking through restraints. Circus acts. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> so she recovers from these injuries in six months. Thank God. But I, she grows teeth. <laughs> yeah, she grows her teeth back. Uh, so her circus and daredevil performance career continues to thrive as she traveled and toured through the 1950s, doing the occasional outdoor performance here and there. It was then she would reach her pinnacle, quote, flying through the air on a 784-foot cable, nearly 150 feet in the air, as Disneyland's Tinkerbell. Ah, there you go. Yeah, so 1961, LA Times reports, quote, aerialist Tiny Klein thrills crowds at age 71. Jesus. Yeah. I was going to say, when you said 1960, I was like, shit. She old. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, that's wow. So she would perform as Tinkerbell nightly. For those of you that are younger, <laughs> they used to have Tinkerbell every night at Disneyland zip line from the Matterhorn across the sky. And I think she would go, she would fly across to, I think, Tomorrowland, like the opposite end. Obviously, I didn't see Tiny Klein do it because I was not born yet, but I've seen footage of it. And I think that subsequent Tinkerbells to follow did the same thing. Um She's 71 performing this beginning in 1961. She continues to perform it nightly for three years. In her 70s. Yeah. But like we said, you know, if you are, if you start like getting in good shape at a younger age, like you can maintain that for a long time into old age. Yeah. And clearly she was in good shape constantly because she was doing this all the time. Yeah, totally, totally. That's what you need to do to be able to do this kind of stuff. Um, she passes away a few years later in 1964. Um, I'm not sure of what her gravestone reads. Badassery. Yeah, really. Just being awesome. 
um, and tired of being awesome because too, too, too awesome. Uh, too awesome, too long. Too awesome, too long. Her gravestone reads, Tiny Helen Klein, our Tinkerbell. Very cute. Oh, that is cute. So I'm going to breeze through a couple of performers quickly so we can get to Nikki's interview. Um, performer Inez Palmer. She's a performer who she has confirmed documents, documented performances showing uh, or beginning in 1889. And she's documented to be performing all the way through 1901. But she introduced performing a strong act by hanging actual like fitness weights from her iron jaw bit. Um, sometimes dumbbells, sometimes one large weight. Um, I have a picture of that for you. That's crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was more of like a strong act, um, like just straight up, but still like. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, the, it's hard to lift weights with your arms. <laughs> yeah. And she's doing this with her mouth. Um the fact that these performers don't have like tree trunks for necks is also just. I know, right? They just have regular necks. <laughs> uh, in 1893, while on a seven month engagement with the Tony Lawandes American Circus, she's described as, quote, Iron Jaw Queen who lifts a 200 pound anvil with her teeth. The fuck? The Boston Globe described her in late 1894, quote, No dentists need apply. The lady with perfect teeth. A wonderful as well as startling novelty uh, and an astounding display of dental strength, concisely and thoroughly illustrated. Yeah. What toothpaste does she use? Because that's I know, the right? one that I want. End quote. In 1895, she performed for a crowd of 8,000 with the Sells Brothers Circus. The phrase, quote, molar tenacity, <laughs> with, uh, according to Bandwagon, that seemed to follow her in the press. But details of her life after 1901 are mostly unknown, but the legacy of her strong woman and iron jaw performance are very substantial, according to Ann Norris. I'm just going to call her Ann. This is kind of uh, where we see the introduction of the Butterfly Act, and it's arguable. The firm introduction is via the Tybell sisters. Like it's documented that they started this act of, of doing the butterfly thing but there's these two other sisters that it like literally the same time we're doing it there's an article that states like this is the first time we've seen it in america so it's like on paper that they've done it yeah um, yeah we'll take we can take it that with a grain of salt sure yeah but um they came on the scene at uh, the turn of the century they joined the circus in their teens there's three sisters they are presumably presumably were raised in the circus with their parents being listed in the route book uh, for Ringling Brothers in 1892 and their father showing up later in 1900 to 1903 performing perch, which is like when you're balancing on that um, fuck perch, basically. <laughs> like, there's like a little like uh, it's a small little platform, like a very small little almost like a brick. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. Yeah, it's just a okay. small wooden platform. It's like a hand balancing act. So apparently, Dad performed perch. I think Mom maybe was doing crew. I'm not sure. Eventually, it, he was the one that showed his his daughter's iron jaw. In a 1901 article reviewed uh, reviewing cells and gray circus, it introduces the three sisters. It says, "Quote." It's discussing one of the sisters. She is one of the Tybell sisters, wrapped in an American flag. She clasps a strap, which is riveted to the end of a rope and is hauled to the ceiling 
With only the strength of her jaws to prevent her falling to the ground, she she swings round and round, gradually increasing momentum until she looks like a red, white, and blue spinning top. Whirling in midair, when she comes down, she's so dizzy she reels and had to be led off stage. Okay. In 1905, the Topeka State Journal recounts their act as the sisters, quote, perform aerial miracles while swinging by their teeth. The sisters continue to be promoted heavily and frequently. The year later, um, there's a rendered ad that shows the trio being heavily circulated, published in multiple places, newspapers, um, and it's double-sided, this rendering, which shows the women being suspended by their teeth, their heads tilted back, wearing full Victorian blouses, long-tiered skirts, and boots. In the middle, a woman hangs upside down on a trapeze with an iron jaw in her mouth, holding a woman beneath her suspended on a bicycle. What the f- It was a super well-known ad for their act, so I'll show you this wow, photo. Wow, that so, is a spectacle. Yeah, so I'm going to show you that picture. Jeez. Um, you also you try holding a bicycle up while there's no ground beneath you. Like what? <laughs> this is a common uh ad posting for the Tybell sisters showing how they would perform their act. Pretty crazy. So you'll see they have like their full-length skirts. There's two sisters on either side of this apparatus that are hanging by their teeth. And then the third sister in the middle that's hanging from the this large apparatus. They're all hanging from this large, almost like giant trapeze. Yeah. Two sisters on the right hanging by their teeth. One in the middle hanging by her teeth who is holding uh, someone suspended. And that person suspended from the middle sister's teeth this is, like is a on a bicycle. mobile, but, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. with women hanging from but it instead human of like people. moons and stars. Yeah, yeah. Like I under the, the seeing it, I understand how the bicycle thing works better, but still, Jesus Christ! Totally, it's insane. Oh my God! Um, they were compared to their predecessor Inez Palmer for their feats of strength and dental wondery. Yeah. <laughs> In 1907, the Butte Miner out of Montana reviewed the sisters' act. And now noticing a slight shift in their act, the the article reads, quote, suspended from the roof of the tent is a large trapeze, which we see in this ad posting. On either end of the crossbar, the ladies hand their parasols on the end of the handles of which are fastened rubber mouthpieces. We see those parasols, right? And if Mary Poppins had descended this way. (laughs) Much more interesting. Way cooler. Uh, The performers take these uh, mouthpieces in their mouth and the trapeze ascends. So now the trapeze raises up once they have their mouthpieces in their mouth. With nothing to save them from being hurled to death but the muscles in their jaws, the women whirl through the air so rapidly that they seem to merge with one another in an indistinguishable figure. As they go whirling around, they remove their gowns, which fall into the arms of the attendants below, revealing silver-colored tights. So they are up in the air, and then they take their clothes off. I mean, what else could you want? Yeah. So this clothing reveal must have been quite shocking and risque. Obviously, it's 1907. They do their act, and then they drop their like skirts, essentially, and then they have silvered-colored tights, and they're like, Wowie, zowie. And so this awesome like increases their fame and pay also in 1910 they're billed as the flying Tybell sisters and their sensational death defying iron jaw butterfly act later that year they're listed on the herald and adam four and big united shows 
with papers reporting that the show itself had an investment capital of $3 million, which is nuts for that time, right? And then $7,000 in daily expenses. Oh my God. The ladies were listed in the Herald as Butterfly Act. That means so they're this making is, Buco Dolores right? think that. This is a noted time of change for the Tybell sisters and the Iron Jaw Act as a tr- transition from a daredevil act of strength and speed to like an ethereal display. This is the article where it, it kind of alleges that they started the act. This article says uh, the sisters, quote, are the originators of the act. They are the ones who are presenting it in this country. It is in every way different from aerial acts seen in the past. The three girls are suspended from the dome of the tent by means of thread like cords of steel. To these, they cling merely by the use of their teeth. By the use of their teeth? Sure. By the use of their teeth. (laughs) There is ethereal beauty and sublime splendor to their act that is entrancing to beholders. End quote. So they're saying that they originated the like butterfly version. Right. So the act itself was common at the time. Like the Iron Jaw Act was very common at the time, actually. Um, The sisters are trying to give themselves a leg up by, you know, being flashy and also giving it kind of like an elevated presentation and the ethereal element. Because it's documented that a lot of circuses had multiple Iron Jaw Acts, apparently, which is interesting because it, it was like a really frequent act. By 1912, the trio was signed to Ringling Brothers, joining two other Iron Jaw sister acts. So there's three Iron Jaw acts. Yeah, and, and, and multiple sister acts, too. Exactly. What a great movie. Um, <laughs> it was that frequent. And Ringling is said to have often wanted to and had had multiple acts of Iron Jaw, like, consistently. That was, like, something they, they wanted. It must have just been, like, the popular thing. At the yeah, time. it was that that frequent i can't blame them blame it for being it's very impressive like yeah visually like just very just like i said very impressive just like you look at it and you're like god damn that's very clearly hard it's interesting how it must have obviously phased out right like because uh what the fuck like this is i mean maybe it was oversaturation it, it had to have been like yeah so 1913, their contract documents that the trio is paid $150 a week. They are managed by their father, Julian Tybell. We know that, well, I guess not as much as $4,000, but it's probably a lot. Pretty good. I mean. We can guess. It's probably a lot. Um, So it's alleged that their wage decreases in, in 1917 to $135. One of the sisters retires a few years into their contract. So this could be maybe why it decreases to 135. So now it's the two sisters, the one sister leaves, the two continue, but they are still a trio. They add another non-sister to the act, but they're like, we're sisters. They get their chef. Yeah, they get their chef. Exactly right. They continue until 1923. We see them listed in a route book and sells Flodo that they were performing the Tybell sisters butterfly act. And then, we also see one of the sisters, Edna Tybell, in Ringling Brothers in 1926. Ultimately, it's argued that like the introduction of the multiple performers doing the butterfly act is the introduction of elevated iron jaw from a simple act of strength and daredevil and endurance feats to this like 
elegant. Elegant, yeah. de Soleil, if you Yeah, know. this like ethereal, beautiful, like floating performance that's more sophisticated. And so they are attributed to introducing that um, and were paid really well. I found it really interesting, though, this the frequency of Iron Jaw performances at that time. Which well, it is just really seems wild. so difficult, so extreme, and so specialized. Yeah. Really? The, I mean, maybe it was the fact that it was doing so well and the people doing it were getting paid well that a lot of people wanted to, like, train to do it. But, mm-hmm. like, damn. Yeah. It, it's just such a difficult and demanding thing to have to, to, to become so, like, commonplace almost. Yeah, totally. Um, so I mentioned that there's another act of sisters that at the same time could be argued that they originated this butterfly act. Um, I'll glaze over them, but I honorable mention to the Curzon sisters who performed the iron jaw butterfly act at the same time, like literally same time. There's no article to back up the timeline of the originating of this butterfly act. Who's to say, um, but it was truly performed at the same like year and time span. Um, the sisters are Pearl and Willie. Kalar, but they take the last name of their manager, Curzon. So one fun press article from the Curzon sisters from 1907 from the New York Times is a call to action. Rope Angels needs a tooth. Pearl needs a second left molar transplant. And allegedly Pearl posted an ad to pay $250 for a live tooth. So her dentist could perform the transplant, which is like, what the fuck are you talking about? That sounds like advertising oh okay um, <laughs> i think <they're laughs> like, is that even a thing that anyone Live does anywhere yeah. um they're often billed as teeth gymnasts which is very fun um or scary sounding or very scary sounding um they're described as quote the most daring novelty in the world for their quote original flying butterfly act which included teeth swings serpentine dances and ascending as butterflies high above the stage jeez So I thought this was interesting because one of the sisters, Pearl, describes how it felt to first learn the act. Quote, when I was learning Iron Jaw, tears often ran down my cheeks. So great was the pain. At first, the pain in my jaws and throat was terrible. It was a long time before we could even hang by our teeth without having our toes touched to the floor. So they were hanging and still touching. It sounds like an old fashioned form of torture, to be honest. Like It just sounds so grueling. Yeah, but she said, but now it's lovely. It's like flying. I don't believe you. Yeah, I think she's just saying that. But again, and now we got to remember, everybody was fucking doing this. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I mean, like the the amount of women that I've just discussed, they're all pretty much almost the same time frame, like overlapping a little bit. But my God. Yeah, it's um, a, and you just got to imagine there's so so much of the practice of this before you're getting anything. You know what I mean? It's like you're just getting pain for like weeks and weeks. And it's probably months before you can do it on any kind of performance level. They were paid actually really well. Um, it's alleged that they they were paid $615 a week. That's a lot. Which is really good. I was like, dang. And this one's in 18 something. right? This is 1910. But like that's way more than the other chicks who are yeah. getting paid. They traveled overseas. Um, but what's also maybe they were the first ones. <laughs> maybe they were. I know, right? Um, and then 1920s, we lose track of them in the world. But of note, um, then um, if we jump to the 1980s, 
There's a performer, Rebecca Ostroff. She joined the Kelly Miller Circus in 1990. She actually answered an ad from Circus Report or or placed an ad. Hold on, let me before I misspeak. But the Circus Circus Report is uh, my grandparents' magazine. Oh no way! Yeah. So let's see. She said, "Quote: I was going to be in the circus." She put an ad in Circus Report for a web, and soon procured both web and swivel. So it's like Spanish web, which is. When the women, they like climb up that big rope and then they hang sideways. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can picture it, but I don't know if I know specifically. You'd know it if you saw it. Um, but they climb up like a big white, usually white rope. And then they'll do like formations on it and it will like almost like do like a loop. And then this sounds like a, like just a really brutal ab workout. <laughs> it's really hard, um, but not super technical, but difficult on your body. So she places an ad in Circus Report, and I was like, ooh la la, because my grandparents ran that. Um, and so she joins Kelly Miller Circus in 1990, and she became friends with Tavana Luvas, who performed Trapeze and Iron Jaw. Tavana was leaving the show, so she gives Rebecca her extra mouthpiece. She says, quote, she gave me her spare mouthpiece to show my dentist so I could get fitted. She told me to make sure he put metal in the bottom because it tends to crack. She shared so much with me and supported my quest to learn iron jaw, end quote. She also discussed how her dentist made her mouthpiece in 1993. Quote, she drilled holes, sewing it to leather pieces to hang onto the chrome swivel. The first time I put the mouthpiece in, I thought, okay, I'm just going to hang for a few seconds to see how it feels. I had no idea. Your nose hurts. Your eyes feel like they're going to pop out. There's a lot of pressure. She also noted the iron jaw performers typically have a palate with depth, quote, but overall it's all in the mandible, like your jaw. Yeah. So um, it's some of your teeth, but ultimately it's like your jaw strength, hence the iron jaw, right? Um, She mentions in her portion of this article that after she had her daughter, her mouthpiece didn't fit like this, the same because she had lost and gained weight or, or gained and lost weight rather. Um, and her teeth fit differently in the mouthpiece quote, your mouth and teeth shift. So if you don't put your mouthpiece in it often, your teeth will move and it won't fit anymore. So she had to just get it refitted. She reflected on the rich history of iron jaw stating quote, I discovered that in the older days, everyone did iron jaw and it fell by the wayside, no longer in fashion. Like you said, oversaturated. That didn't change Iron Jaw for me, so I continued to learn. I learned more and more about the history of Iron Jaw and loved that I was making a living legacy out of an act from decades past. So she was like, no one does this anymore. <laughs> like they used to a lot. And now now I'm going to do it, um, which is also kind of why Nikki, my friend Nikki started to do it. But before we get to Nikki, this is so long and I hope you guys are into it. Stick <laughs> so with us. Yeah. So long. Just imagine how long it feels to hang by your teeth. Okay. Performer Erendira Walenda. She is married to Nick Walenda. So I'm going to send you this image of what I'm going to talk about right now. What? Which is, yeah, exactly. Global uh, news indeed. Yeah. So these are some images. Oh of my God. Walenda over Niagara Falls. Like. Hanging by her mouth above Hanging, right? a waterfall. Yeah. So this is insane, right? Jesus. From a you. helicopter. From a helicopter. Jesus 
Christ. But because the, the also the, the crazy thing about this, too, for her is helicopters make a fuck ton of wind under them. That's why they can fly. totally that's all being blasted down at her. I know. Right. I thought the same thing where I was like, what? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that the underbelly of the helicopter blocks some of that. But like, it's still got to like fuck with you. Right. I agree. It's literally so much wind that a giant heavy metal thing can stay in the air. So she's hanging from a hoop, like over insane amounts of water over Niagara Falls. So this is a hoop attached to a helicopter above Niagara Falls. And like the, the length, the yeah, the length of the those strings, they're not strings, the cords from the helicopter. I don't mean they're not. It's like a person's length, just about like maybe a little yeah, longer, or maybe it's like two people's length. I mean, I'd say a lot, but let's like, let's be generous and say it's like twenty five feet, right? That of the co- the cords hanging from the helicopter, and then she is because if you look at the wide picture that shows her like there, mm-hmm. I think one. I mean, unless like the perspective is off, it looks like one, maybe maybe one and a half mm-hmm. of her make up the length of the the rope like it's it's close to the helicopter right yeah which makes it higher up i mean i yeah at this point i don't know that that matters if she falls in she's probably fucked but oh yeah she's very fucked she's incredibly fucked and she's also she's doing a pose too like that that's like the cherry on top of all this she's in this compromised dangerous crazy position and she's posing like this is the uh, modern version of doing the hot air balloon thing, by by the way. Yeah, she's close to it. She's very close. She's in like a lira hoop, but smaller and has like her out, arms outstretched in the hoop. The hoop looks only like it's a backup plan. Like yes. if the mouth falls, she could grab onto the hoop. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's kind of it. It's like that's yeah. the one backup, basically. Yeah, but fuck. So on June 16th, 2017... American Daredevil, Erendira Willinda, dangled from her teeth from under a helicopter in a series of eye-watering acrobatic moves over the teeming waters of Niagara Falls. This stunt set a Guinness World Record for height-breaking, establishing, uh, established by her husband, Nick, when hanging from his teeth 250 feet above Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. So she broke his record because... Nice competition. Right. I see you know? what you did, but uh, I'm gonna break it. Yeah, which is crazy. The Walendas are crazy. We'll do a whole episode on them as well. But um, so she performed a series of movements on the hoop suspended from the helicopter. She was tethered by her waist during the stunt, according to the Toronto Star. A trapeze artist from a renowned family of daredevils hung by her teeth as the helicopter carried her. Above the thunder of Niagara Falls in a stunt that grabbed international attention. Her ears um, probably were blowing up. A helicopter maybe. combined with a waterfall. Con- like, Could you imagine? That's terrifying. I don't care if she has like a thing around her waist. Yeah. Truly. It's so overwhelming. So people on both sides of uh, the border, U.S. and Canada, were watching. They cr- craning their necks to catch a glimpse. Imagine uh, not hearing about this and then just seeing it like you were on like, a hike or something. Are they going to drop her? <laughs> what are they doing? Um, a quote from Walenda. There are no words. It was beautiful. She said moments after returning to the ground. <laughs> I'm sure she was like, that was great. Uh, and she's like, just like, that was a lot of fun. 
Well, Linda, 36, performed her feat five years after her stuntman husband, Nick Walenda, walked 550 meters on a tightrope from the American side of the falls to the Canadian side. He did it across the Niagara Falls. Jeez, this, yeah, this couple, Jesus. Yeah, the Walendas are wild. So she was tethered to the safety harness as legally required, so nobody falls. Walenda said the wind above the falls was far more fierce than she expected prompting the pilot to nose the chopper um, a little higher. Interesting. Because he was too close to the water. It was too choppy, baby. Um, as someone who'd performed since she was five years old, she said she wasn't nervous. Yikes. Um, I know my limits. Quote, I know my limits. I would never do anything. Uh, I know this sounds silly uh, that, I, uh, that I know would pop- possibly hurt me. End quote. Walenda said she hoped her performance would inspire others, and she offered a special message for other females. Quote, if a guy can do it, a girl can do it too, she said. We just do it with a little more grace, end quote. Walenda spent about eight minutes of her 10-minute stunt hovering over the falls. Fuck, that's a long time. It's a long time. It doesn't sound like a long time. It's a long time. Yeah, while the plan was to hang from her teeth only once for about 15 seconds, she said she felt so good that she opted to repeat the move for about 10 seconds. So she repeated that 10 seconds more. Whoa, that's crazy. That's crazy to me because the falls is insane to me. Just being over Niagara Falls and just being like, it's like, first of all, you have the helicopter wind and then the falls beneath you. And, oh, God, that's so scary. It's that's bad. So and it's just like if anything goes wrong. God. Uh, okay, so we're close to the end here, friends. Um, but I really wanted to talk about my friend Nikki. She has performed with a, a variety of circuses, most recently uh, Flynn Creek Circus, which is the one that I think she's predominantly performed with. I know Nikki because she is uh, she her partner is uh, my friend Justin. So that's like basically I befriended her via Justin because Justin's amazing. Um, and he's like an incredible performer, clown and like spatial artist, I guess you could say. Like he I mean, in the simple terms, you could be like he does like mime work, but it's oh, like, okay. but it's really fucking It's kind of cool. like the next level. Yeah, it's like so interesting and cool. Um, plus, he and Nikki do stuff together and they like write, you know, like um, I don't want to say bits, but like sketches, I guess, for for their shows. Facts. And it's like interesting the, the the elevated acts that they'll integrate into Flynn Creek because Flynn Creek kind of allows like a, it's a technically like a, a mud show, if you will. It's like a single ring tent show. But the creativity that um, Blaze, the owner, integrates into the shows. First of all, the owner's name is Blaze, which is so cool. Um, but um, there's always like a theme and a storyline in each season. And um, it's just very creative and beautiful and cool. And so um I think that that's allowed them to evolve uh, individually as performers also. Um, <clears throat> so I've interviewed Nikki. She's not a generational circus performer. Um, she was, I was like, how did you get here? And she was like, uh, she was working on a farm with goats. <laughs> um and then she had a chance to jump on a show and she did. So the rest is history. I mean, that's the very abridged version. <laughs> So she's been performing in a circus for eight years. She's she started when she was 26. She's 34 now. She recently embarked on starting her own circus with 
Justin and two other people from Flynn Creek, I believe. Uh, the circus is called Shoestring Circus. So if you guys are in Bellingham, Washington, that circus starts and opens May 19th in Bellingham, and they'll be in Bellingham for two weeks. So that's really exciting because they're like starting their own circus, which is very cool. But um, regarding Iron Jaw, I noticed she started performing it or like working on it over the pandemic and she started to recently perform it. So I was like, I must ask you all the questions. She's really what prompted me to do this whole episode, to be honest. But so I was like so curious about her mouthpiece and how she learned and how long it took. And well, it's <laughs> rare that we get to ask these kind of questions, right? Like, we you know, it's a yeah. lot of history and everything, but to be able to be specifically like, well, what about this? Like, that's yeah. really cool. And her being a non-generational circus performer, like, what was that like? Uh, is there some gatekeeping that you... Did she learn herself? Like... Yes, she did. Yeah. That's so, so crazy because <laughs> this is such a specific thing that you have to do a specific way. Yep. Like, we yeah. know literally the hair hang thing is, like, guarded. Like, if you don't know mm-hmm. how to do it, you'll, like, rip your scalp off. Pretty much. I'm sure that this isn't too far off that. Yeah, it's not. So I'm going to show you a picture of how she performs because I told you she swings chairs, right? Like, yes. So I'm going to show you a picture of her swinging chairs. So she'll swing them like in a circle (laughs) and she'll swing them to like beastie boys, like sabotage. Oh my God. So it's like amazing. Like chef's kiss. Like, so I was like, how does your mouthpiece work? Like, how do you do it? What the fuck? (laughs) Um, So for her mouthpiece, uh, this is what she says, quote, so we went the way of leather because one, that was the information that we had available. And these people have been doing it for years and it's working. So stick with that. We made a couple of them with trial and error error to get the right fit. One I used a lot and with leather, I was doing so much of it that the pieces over time can actually get a little thin. At least for me, I learned that if I started to feel my teeth, something is off. So she's just like, if I can feel them, um, that's not good. I so- imagine too, like I, something I didn't really think about before, but you know, I imagine you're practicing or performing basically every day with these things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, your spit is made to dissolve things. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so like, not only is it being pulled on, but like, just I'm sure that that's adding to it. Totally. So. She said she started using one and she could start to feel her teeth. So, quote, so I was like, oh, okay, I've used this mouthpiece to the point where it's no good. It's too thin. So I made it again with thicker leather and some other pieces in there. And that one is probably going to last me a long time. So she had two. One of them was wearing thin. So she revised, made a new one and made it much thicker. Knowing the fact that, that she's making these is wild it's insane it's like yeah i guess maybe it's too niche to just go buy one on amazon but christ to do something like this that is so it's so important for it to be right you know like the the margin of error is nothing so to do this yourself is just crazy and so i was like so how did you start training like did you just like start hanging (laughs) like what did you do um and like i'm like it obviously hurts right (laughs) so she says we just went into the garage and hung some rope because this is during the pandemic, right? So they're at home. They're not touring circus, right? So we hung some rope and that was totally, you just had to do it and feel it out. Like just see what feels good, you know? Um, she says, very slow process. For me, just getting the muscles used to hanging and stuff, even like 
after a couple seconds to begin, you have a migraine for the rest of the day from the pressure coming up like that. I mean, I've had a migraine before to do to know that every practice is going to result in that like- for seconds for hang for seconds. Justin, her partners, he can make he can fabricate shit and like look at pictures and be like, I will make I'll try to make that, you know, or just at least attempt. Right. And then like suss it out from there. So um, she said she would practice some in the morning, some at night, just a little bit, you know, to start. I mean, that's all you can do. It sounds like totally. So like they had like a pulley thing. You know, and then she would like kind of pull herself up and like barely hang like a little bit in the garage. She said, quote, getting over the fear of breaking a tooth was a big thing for me. And then interestingly, I realized really quick, it's not the pain in my mouth. It's like your entire in, it's entirely in your neck and upper shoulders. So that's the thing you got to like warm up and condition. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like it's not necessarily your mouth, but your shoulders and your neck. And she was like, you know, historically, insurance does not do great coverage on your teeth. <laughs> so she was like, I was, I was concerned a little bit. She's like, Oh, absolutely. But, Dental but, shit is scary and expensive. Yeah, exactly. So she was like, like I'm concerned. <laughs> um, but she was like, but it's actually your, your neck and your shoulders. And then she was like, you learn like how much you can compress on there until it radiates through your head. And then you're like, ow. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, God. Jeez. Uh, Oh, God. So like you have to like learn your limits when you're learning. Uh, Yeah, I guess Um, so. And again, like nobody tried this at home or not. This is just her experience. Uh, And this is also like, you know, professional performers working their way up to this. Right, right, right. She explained you have to tense other parts of your body to keep your neck and your shoulders really strong. You also have to do it all the time. Like you can't slack on it and then return to it in like a few months. Like your body will forget. You know what I mean? Like the muscle memory. So after a couple of months of consistently doing this training, she was getting close to the season, but she wasn't quite ready to hang from her mouth. But the season was going to start. And so she was like, I can modify this and swing the chairs laterally instead of hanging. So in the picture that you sent, she's standing. She's standing. She's swinging them around with her mouth. Right. In a lateral movement, like swinging them. uh, Like she spins in a circle and she's swinging the chairs in a circle around her, like a large circle. Um, And there's like two, three chairs, maybe iron. I'm not sure, but they're heavy chairs. So she's able to modify the act to swing the chairs laterally and actually all the hanging that she was doing training actually made her strong enough in the jaw that this chair swinging was far easier than she thought. She says, quote, my body was like, we like this way more. <laughs> and audiences were like, this is great. I mean, well, I'm the sure cool thing is, too, wow, like, them. you know, even if this isn't technically as difficult, it's different. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people don't care about how hard it is. It's how impressive it looks. It almost features her um, doing this activity with her mouth more. Yeah, just by looking. Well, and too, like, it's also like, granted, this this is falling out of practice and stuff. But like, this is something that like, in all the pictures, I've never seen someone do it this way. It's cool. That's more important to people. It's just like, oh, I haven't Mm -hmm. seen this before. Yeah. So I was like, how do you make sure the chairs are secure? (laughs) You know what I mean? So it doesn't fly off. Uh, I'm like, "You, you must like make sure that they're like secure and stuff. She's like, oh, yeah, they're super secure. And, you know, that's the thing I feel when, when I go to do it, especially people sitting right in the front row, 
it's never felt like it was going to come out of my mouth. And you probably shouldn't be performing if it feels like it is going to come out of your mouth. <laughs> That's what she is like. If you feel like it's going to come out of your mouth, then You're not you ready. should not do it. Yeah. But they, for, they fabricate the mouthpiece so that attached to the leather inside, much like the mouthpiece photos that we saw, there's a super tough carabiner affixed inside and it does not come out. It's like it fixed to the leather in there. And then that, that carabiner is secured to a chain. Then the chairs are at the end of this long chain. So I asked, is the pain less now? Like, are you used to it? Is it not so gnarly? Yeah. And she is like, quote, not as gnarly. Now that I've been doing it long enough, there isn't a ton of residual pain like there used to be. I'm also like, maybe I'm ready for something heavy. Maybe I could spin a couch or something. What the fuck? <laughs> and I'm like, that what? would be so cool. That would be cool. Yeah. She has some honestly, really, if she could really do cool that, ideas. The next thing is like a person sitting in it. Yeah. I mean, she had some really cool ideas that I will not share because, you know, and I asked what made you want to learn Iron Jaw. She says, you know, as a performer, you want to be booked and busy. And the best way to do this is to offer like a menu list of skills because like for especially as like a performer now, it's probably hard to like, yeah, yeah, there's not get work. work. Yeah. Already eight years in circus, she has a decent repertoire under her belt. You know, she can do Spanish web. She has some comedy clowning experience, some Lyra, but she wanted to add like a new interesting act to her list of skills, add more ground skills to her resume, if you will. So quote, winter of 2020, I really started to hone in. I was like, okay, what is something that I'm not really seeing a lot of, but there are some apparatuses and some circus skills that just feel really saturated. We're like, even if I loved it and could learn it, there's just so many people doing it. So I had to go with something else. It's fun to read about like circus acts from back in the day. And what's a way I could spin on that? And I kept reading about Tiny Klein. She's the Hungarian circus artist that worked with Ringling Brothers and her style of iron jaw was the slide. So she would hang and be suspended between buildings. She also worked at Disneyland as Tinkerbell. That resonated with me because I really like playing characters that are really floofy and feminine. And then they have this absurd twist to them. So Tiny Klein really spoke to me. This process itself was really interesting to me. So that's what inspired her. Nikki's characters are like, and it makes more sense if you go to see the show, but like she'll dress as a fairy, but then she'll do something really goofy and silly. Like she likes to like turn something on its head. So I asked, so then you had to do this mouthpiece. Like how did you ask people? Like how did you make it though? Or like figure it out even? Yeah, Um, where do you even start with something? Yeah. So quote, we had to start with making the mouthpiece because you don't even know what it's going to feel like. Or like, so what you about actually it is the most make, important part, right? Yeah. How do you connect it? Like, is, is the, the, do I need a mold? Like, Right. Yeah. And she's like, you don't even know how it's going to feel like until you actually make the apparatus and try it. And when, when you know that the first few times you do something is going to be excruciating pain, how do you know it's not because you have the wrong mouthpiece? You know right. what I mean? Like, how right. can you even tell? Like, I remember I recently I've just had, like I said at the top of the episode, I have like bad feet. I was talking to the foot doctor and I was like, and she was telling me about certain stretches and stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And they may hurt a little like, or like using certain shoes with support and they may hurt a little bit at first. And I was like, 
How do I know the difference between it hurting a little because my foot has to get used to it and hurting a little because it's not good for my foot? Right, because it's bad. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like there there isn't a great answer to that Mm-mm. question. Like, yeah. it's just kind of like, you I don't kind of feel it out. Like, <laughs> yeah. is the thing. Like, if it keeps hurting longer than it's supposed to, maybe it's not the right thing. And it's just like, right. something like this, when you have to do it for like weeks and, a mo- and months even. Yeah. I I just hope that you did it right at the beginning and you're training properly because if not, like you're doing undue strain and maybe permanent damage to your body. Yeah. I mean, because she started winter of 2020. I know they didn't go back touring until summer of 2021. So she had at least probably like six, seven months, you know what I mean? If not more. I asked if she had to personally make it. Like, where did you get? Did you get it for someone make it for you? You know? Yeah. You know, a cobbler? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Like, who made this leather thing for you? And she says, quote, you have to physically make it. You have to, like, measure it to your mouth. You have to fit it to your jaw. And it's totally custom. So we started. And Justin was a big help with this, too, because he's such a fabricator. His mind just works that way. But this is going to involve teeth. So I need fabricating expertise. So... There's a performer, uh, Tolga Batoga. That's his name. Great she, name. She said that he offered advice. She said she like called, like reached out to people and was like, hey, do you have any information? Like, can you share anything? I'm, I, How do I'm, I do? Yeah, like whatever you would be so gracious to share. And this was one person that she was like, not a lot of people did. <laughs> like not a lot of people shared stuff. But he offered well, advice. I mean, you know, a lot of this stuff is like family guarded secrets. Mm-hmm. So the fact yeah. that she was able to find someone who's willing to share is. Well, and I think, um, and I'll talk about it, but like she encountered a little bit of people being like, why? Or like, you kind of have to like prove yourself a little bit of like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, are you doing this because you want to do it? Are you trying to write a fucking paper? Like what? Yeah. Like what's the, yeah. Because she's not like, she doesn't have the quote clout of being a generational performer you know, so yeah, no one that, to vouch for her yet. Yeah. It's so it's tricky, but this gentleman offered her advice and she noted he was very generous with his information and he sent it. He sent pictures of his mouthpiece. Oh, that's huge. And he's very well known for hanging kettlebells from his iron jaw, which is like, fuck another performer from Turkey. They also sent photos of their mouthpiece when she reached out. And that performer has the record for the longest hang for hanging for seven minutes, which is insane. And this person had a really strong opinion about how to construct the mouthpiece, which he offered Nikki. And this person said, go the way of leather, then carve it, do some indentations for your teeth, but not too much because it's going to compress when you bite down. That was their advice. Nikki said a few performers sent photos of their mouthpieces, which she was very grateful for. Quote, no one held her hand to like fabricate these things. And the advice was very like, you'll figure it out. Uh, it will be what specific. a thing to have to figure out. I know. Right. It will be specific to you and your body and your level of tolerance. That seems to be a theme when taking on circus. I feel like the same when learning Spanish web, too. It's not the most technical to perform, but it is an endurance act. It just hurts. So similar to what your doctor said, it was like, you'll know if it's You'll bad. just kind of figure it out. <laughs> you'll know if it's bad or good. But like for someone to say, you'll you'll figure it out with your mouth. With your mouth. <laughs> and teeth. And those with, with your eyeballs feeling like they're going to pop out. Yeah. And you're like, but it hurts. And then they're like, yeah. And they're like, it's going to hurt. Just like, don't do it if it hurts in. Well, you'll you'll see. And you're yeah. like, what do you mean? Yeah. That's terrifying. That's crazy. Where you're like. Damn. Like, 
how much? Like, are my eyes supposed to bleed? Like, yeah, it's like, what's what is the line? Like, should I be throwing up every time? Like, what's You're happening? literally putting your body through con- like painful conditioning. It's like, yeah. how do you know what pain is bad and what pain is part of it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because she's like, when she does Spanish web, it just hurts. It's not technical. It just is painful, which sounds like a lot of circus pain stuff. is usually inf- informative like pain happens so you don't do something right and so your body's like don't and you're like do yeah yeah and it's like some things you can certainly get over but other things no and it's like how yeah, yeah it's just such a scary thing she did feel like she had to prove her sincere interest and dedication to circus be- before some performers would offer her valuable knowledge to get her started with iron jaw being a non-generational performer and all I asked if she had, if she felt like she did have to prove herself, especially when trying to embark on learning this, like, training for such a traditional circus act. And how um, do you even prove yourself over the phone? Like, Yeah, I know, right? Um, especially, like, with something that's, like, so deep-rooted in traditional circus and, and possibly generational and often taught through generational circus sometimes. She said, quote, 100%. Yeah, I think. That's been a special thing that I'm really grateful. I've had time at generational circuses coming in as someone that is not from that and then kind of navigating what is it going to take for people to see that? I'm very serious about this and I have so much respect for what you do. What does it look like like to show you that I'm serious? Because once people see that, the gates really open and people are like, I see you're really invested in this. Can I give you some tips on this or talking about circus in a way where I'm like, okay, I'm in. And she says, I remember on this one circus, I felt like the gates opened when they saw I was able to drive our truck and camper at Loden, like able to park her truck. Yeah, who would have thought? Because it's a a very gendered thing that I'm a woman and uh, that I could do that. And because... And simply because she could just park the car. It also probably just shows like you've driven this before, implying you've done it for circus before, implying that you've been in the circus for a while. Right, right. And she's like, oh, okay, she's serious. She's of this lifestyle. And she was like, also, I just had to learn it because I like I have to do this every day. Like, so it's funny things like that she had to prove. She says, another place I saw the gates open is I will sit in on any rehearsal happening, whether it's related to me or not, because I love watching people's process. And I think this person saw me do that. That's the kind of person that like gets places, you know what I mean? When they're just like, I just want to absorb it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, whenever you hear people who like, whenever you go to like a panel, one of the people says shit like that. Yeah, exactly. Whatever the panel is about, somebody did shit like that. Mm -hmm. Right. With like, I just did it. I was there all the time. She said, I think this person saw me do that and saw this is what I was interested in. Whatever it was, just like Because you don't always. do that unless you give a shit. Yeah. You just, you're just not going to. Yeah. Quote, so with the Iron Jaw thing, there's definitely a feeling like if we didn't know them, they would ask us about our backgrounds. And I can also see a thing where they just don't want to give out measurements for a mouthpiece and just send someone off and hope they do it safely. Like, she's like, I get, I get that. Yeah, well, Uh, there's probably like, I mean, not liability exactly, but like the measure of feeling responsible for this person. Like, mm -hmm. and if they're not taking it seriously and giving all the precautions, like you're giving someone the golden ticket to fuck their head up. Yeah, she's like, she says, I can guarantee it's not doctor recommended or (laughs) orthodontically approved by anyone. Yeah, I can't imagine doing this for years and your teeth not like shifting. 
Yeah. Or just something changing, whether it's for better or worse. Um, She says, I wouldn't go into this without some level of caution. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Um, And I completely echo that statement. Uh, Don't try this at home. I've said that so many times. So I chatted about the various iterations of Iron Jaw and and circus in general as it continues to evolve, which she, she and I were just talking about circus and with or without animals, circus in a ring, circus yeah, on like stage. Yeah, like what's it like these days? Yeah, circus with a story, without a story. And Nikki, she says, I define circus anything with a spectacle. It is so forgiving of so many different kinds of acts coming into that space, but it also denotes a certain level of quality and skill you have to bring to be called a spectacle. So she was like, circus to me is spectacle. So anything like that. I was like, that's perfect. Her favorite circus performances right now are Iron Jaw and Spanish Web, but she also loves performing comedy with this, in the show. She says, getting a laugh, quote, that is the best, which I think like inherently she's like a comedian at heart, to be honest. I mean, there's very few things like making a crowd of strangers laugh at you. It's like, yeah, it is. It is just like approval in like a single second. It's like, oh, yeah. the approval of 100 people immediately. Yeah. Like, yeah, totally. She says circus is really my favorite form of entertainment. Stuff that really lights me up is like circus artists being woven into a story in some way. I think this is the most magical way to use people's skill sets like that. It supports them in a different way. She's just like, if they can be supported and be creative and then use their physical skill sets all in one forum, it's like, that's perfect. Well, the more you can kind of build on a thing, that's why probably why when you get like stories and like narratives in it, it, it makes it that much grander. You're just you're just doing more. You're giving more within the confounds of your art. Totally. So like I said, you can see Nikki and Justin at Flynn Creek's Circus this summer. And she's been with them for seven seasons, I think. And again, she's she's just started her own circus, which she's going to perform in also. And a couple of other people that we know via Circus Stories are going to be performing nice. um, in that circus. It's going to be a great show. Like they're really compiling a, a bunch of all stars for this circus. So If you guys are in Bellingham, Washington, May 19th, they open Shoestring Circus and they'll be there for two weeks. So definitely, definitely catch Shoestring. And then Flynn Creek Circus tours up and down uh, Pacific Northwest. So you guys should definitely check them out. And they are always cruising around. So, yeah. So that's the lengthy, lengthy story. Chunky, chunky app. Chunky, chunky app on Iron Jaw. From past to present. You We're know? taking it all the way, folks. All the way. 200 years. <laughs> and it sure felt like it, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, but it is such like, it is so like impressive and wild. Just the the scope of such a specific skill and yeah. like daring feat. Like yeah. the fact that it has such history for such a like, You'd think niche, like if even within, you know, like for a layman like me, like if you tell me, okay, I I say circus, what acts do you think of? You know, Iron Jaw is not in them. Mm -hmm. You know, I say like trapeze, clown, you know, like like stuff like that everybody thinks of. But this one, not only does it have such a long history, but it's so 
like technical and and it's so outside of the limelight for whatever reason these days like hell even being shot from a cannon is something that the average person will associate with yeah right it's interesting i think that the introduction of like the butterfly act in iron jaw because they'll do that visual thing for the hair hang too but the integration of that for the butterfly act I think maybe over time lessened its impressiveness. Yeah, true. It, you know it what took I mean? the emphasis away from the strength mm-hmm. of it and made it just kind of like an aerial act. Yeah, because then you're like, well, what are they doing? Yeah, if you're on a harness like attached to your waist or something, not to say that there isn't a skill to that, but it's not as impressive to a layman. Right. You look at them and be like, oh, there's a string attached to you, whatever. I could do that. You know what right. I mean? And it may be beautiful looking, but it doesn't seem as impressive. It's more right. like a good choreographed dance. It's like, right. oh, anyone could learn a dance. And again, I'm being like, you know, the, the thought process of the average person, not necessarily right. accurate. Right. Um, but again, yeah, like you were saying, it just it kind of takes away from the feet of it all, which. Right. Yeah. Maybe it made it kind of diminish a little in the eyes of the average person. Because if you see someone soaring back and forth from a tent hanging from their mouth, yes. But you're like, ooh, the wings and ooh, the things that they're doing, you're not comprehending the fact that they are hanging by their mouth. Versus someone that is you're just watching them stagnantly hanging from their mouth and lifting shit or like other people performing trapeze from this person that's hanging from their mouth. Like it draws your eyes to the fake wings instead of their jaw. Yeah, I think that might have been why it it started to lose popularity, falling off more in the 50s and then picking up slowly like Rebecca Ostroff said like not not as popular and then in the 80s slowly coming back and the 90s slowly coming back uh, you know when you <laughs> describe to me um an image of women with ethereal wings kind of flying around via mouth like I'm like oh impressive when you tell me Miss Lala shoots a cannon that she's holding from her mouth my jaw drops 100% one of them is just clearly more like not only is it, are they both visual spectacles to like, to be fair, they're both a different type of impressive visual spectacle, mm-hmm. but the Canon one makes my brain start thinking about just like, like logistics in a, in a really crazy way. Like right? how on earth is this possible? Where the other one is like, this is very pretty. I see what they're doing. It's, it's impressive, but it doesn't like make your, you, you just think like, oh, well, they're a professional. They've trained for this. Whereas right. when you see the cannon, you're like, how does a professional who trained for this even do this? Right. Right. Yeah. Or just like well, lifting the anvils with your mouth or like all of that stuff. You're just like, you can put yourself there. Yes. More so. Because like, we know, and we at least have a frame of reference to be like, I know what a weight feels like to pick up in my hands mm-hmm. and I know it's hard there. Mm-hmm. But when it's something where you don't like your brain can't imagine, right. I think that's also part of it when you're like, because honestly, even when you look at the hair hang, you think like, oh, well, I'm sure there's just like a knot and then it does. It takes the weight off. But until yeah. we learn more about it, you that was kind of gives you an extra appreciation. Right. Before then, you'd be like, oh, well, of course, like you can't just do this, but you don't have a full understanding of that person's in pain right now. Yeah. And yep. they're doing it right. So much. Like, yeah. uh, like it just gives you another <laughs> level. And then when you see this up with the cannon, I think your brain just understands that inherently. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like with Nikki's performance, how she spins chairs, you're able to see like, that's hard. You could 
Because we put yourself all know in how that position. A chair is. Yeah. You know what I mean? You try to pick up a chair with your mouth right now. You're not going to do it. Yeah. And you know how to spin in a circle and how you get dizzy and how that's hard. I mean, all of you could just put yourself there and be like, uh, how is she doing that? <laughs> like, that seems hard. It also yes. makes me wonder, how does she stop? I, and like, and I was like, how do you get them up off the ground? And do they start? I mean, they start on the ground. And she's like, yeah, they just like lift up. And I'm like, <laughs> like really? What a world. <laughs> what a what a world. Gravity is crazy. So yeah, so that's Iron Jaw. Uh, blows our mind. Uh, if you guys are still listening, congratulations. You made it. <laughs> you did it. You have um, the comprehensive history of yes, Iron Jaw. You sure do. We'll see how much I edit this three hour <laughs> episode. <laughs> A lot of listeners love it. Like, they're like, I love the long episodes. I was like, good. <laughs> I mean, I, I've kind of moved to like audiobooks lately with like my more, more so than some podcasts. But like, when I was like really listening to podcasts, like every single morning, the long ones that were my favorite. I like the long ones too. I like the long ones. They, they, they end up, you get to the meat of stuff more. It feels less episodic and more conversational. And I think that's yeah. one of the enjoyable things of podcasts, you know? Yeah. Do you guys like us? Good. Please tell us <laughs> um, and tell the algorithm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, if you guys want to send us some reviews, because uh, we got a one star because I have a bad mouth, apparently. Uh, <laughs> but it says explicit. It's yeah. Rated come on. Explicit. We give you a heads up. Also, come like, on. that's just the thing. Like, some, you know, ratings in so many things are like it, it takes one person disliking yeah. and deciding to talk about it to tank. Yeah. A review. So just They're the more, mad. and and the only thing that fixes that is quantity of yeah. of good ones. So yeah, if you guys could rate, subscribe, tell people like if you like it, you know. Yeah, I mean, don't lie. <laughs> yeah, we don't want we don't want phonies. Yeah, it, only the real deals. If you like it, tell someone, throw a review up. We really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, no pressure. Yeah, we appreciate you guys, and we thank you so much for listening. Always. So definitely check out our Instagram for the images that we chat about. There's some wild ones and you're going to want to see. Like I said, there's some that you just cannot like comprehend until you see it. And then you're like, oh, that's what's going on. Yeah. And it's wild. So you can look at those uh, at circus.stories. And if you have fun circus facts, fun circus stories you want to send or whatever you want. You want to chat it up. uh, Send me your cool clown car pictures, whatever. Yeah. Tell us Uh, a story. Yeah, you can send that to Circus Stories Podcast at Gmail. All one word, Circus Stories Podcast. And a huge shout out to all of our Patreon members. We love you. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for being just radical people. If you guys want to join our Patreon, you can. Patreon.com slash Circus stories there's also a link in the show notes it says support the show and it will take you to our patreon check it out we got some Um, secret apps some interviews some goodies on there there's a bunch of stuff uh definitely remember to rate and subscribe i'm sorry i have a potty mouth that is my that's me we're just real people being real people it's true it's uh you can't record three-hour episodes regularly <laughs> without sometimes letting a bomb Impossible. Slip, okay? Impossible. Also, sometimes, you know, we hear about some old-fashioned racism or sexism or just some crazy feat. And how are you not going to say Holy WTF? shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, come on. So, yeah, some ratings would be super cool. Yeah, uh, please help. <laughs> thank you so much. Please, please. 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 Uh, but most importantly, you must. You must. You must check your boilers. Your boilers. And um, you know, summer's coming. Now is the time to check them. Yeah, because it's 
hot now. <laughs> yeah, I put the AC on last night. It's on now. It's yeah, it had to happen. It's uh, it's it's no good. It's already ninety degrees. It was. I hate it. Not that two, three days ago. No, now, no, literally days. And also, there's snow on the mountains, but it is ninety degrees. And it's gonna um, melt. And it's gonna melt. And it's gonna be a, a problem couple. for someone. It, it's, it's things are gonna slide. Things are gonna get weird. There's gonna be mudslides, and there's gonna be fires. That's the order of things. People are like, oh, yeah, global warming. A lot of natural craziness is going to happen. And it's like, oh, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, Great. They've predicted correctly. <laughs> they know. So uh, all this is to say, check those boilers, because when the winter does come, it's going to snow in California again. So make <laughs> sure true. it's on point and not going to blow up your home. Yeah, because it's getting toasty and uh, you don't want double toasty boilers. So. You don't want that boiler on when it's not supposed to, and you want it on when it's supposed to. <laughs> That's right, Mark. That's how well things said. work, and well, I know what I'm talking about. Well said. So, I went to college. <laughs> you sure did. Yeah. You sure did. Uh, so be safe out there, friends. Take care of each other, and we'll see you down the road. Love ya. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm done. Uh, that was beef-tastic. That was beef-tastic.